the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. I'm James Lewis from Simply Serpents. And I'm April Justine from Designer Exotics. Each week, we'll discuss what is happening in herpticulture on social media, YouTube, and even on other podcasts. We will share our opinions and thoughts on current events, as well as the opinions of you, the listener. Make sure to check out our Facebook and Instagram for interactive polls and posts where you can tell us what you are thinking. So listen for your name each week as we share your opinions on our podcast. So sit back and relax. Here's the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Welcome to episode 14 of the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Uh, so the Reptile Gumbo Podcast is a little different now. I did make a post on the page this week about a change in my uh, my co-host. Um, unfortunately, Carly, who I love dearly, uh, just this didn't fit into her schedule and she's been super busy. And so I got a new co-host. She's been on here a couple of times, but April. Welcome, April Justine. Hi. So, hello, hello. How are you today? Good. Doing better than you are, which we'll get into in a second. But April, yes. <laughs> April's been on a couple of times. We had her on as our guest co-host at one point, and then uh, she did help me fill in once when uh, Carly's work schedule got busy before. And right now, it sounds like she's cracking crabs in the background. I don't know what she's doing. It's the dog's toenails. I'm trying to move to where my bandwidth will be better. <laughs> the dog's toenails on the floor. <laughs> so, uh, for anybody that is on our Facebook page, if you did not catch our live stream last night, uh, I'm sorry, you'll never get to see it. Uh, it lasted like it- four hours. Uh, yeah. There were many adult beverages partaken, not by me. I don't drink, so I was the sober one. So, I was the designated live streamer. Uh, and yeah, it was a good time though. It was a great time. I remember of it. And And I'm so sorry for anyone that was watching live. (laughs) God, especially around hour three. If you were watching live around hour three, it was, (laughs) I mean, it was the two of us, Joe, Ryan Cox, uh, Brandon Wheeler was on there for some of it. Uh, my wife was on there for a little bit. It was, uh, it was interesting. The The most interesting part is that April got bit by a venomous snake. Uh, yes, I did, and I have lived to tell the tale. She did not die, so <laughs> apparently, to <laughs> survive venomous so. snake, to, to survive venomous snake bites, you just got to drink copious amounts of alcohol. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, so, you guys know, um, if you know my collection at all, I do have the African beak snakes, and they are mildly venomous. They are rear fang. Um, and yeah, I was telling them how normally they just flee. I didn't even say normally because all the time they just run away and they're super active. Uh, but she just turned around and decided to chomp on, on my, my thumb area between my thumb and my pinky finger. It was the Uh, best timing ever. (laughs) She made contact and chewed. And that's when I started to get a little bit worried because I don't know how I'm going to react to it. And the chewing mechanism is how they get that venom into you. Um, it didn't hurt when it happened, but the swelling, you know, it's swelled. It's taken up like half my hand. You can't really see, really see the swelling that bad. It hasn't moved any farther than my hand itself. And it is really painful to the touch and it's very sore to open and close my hand. So it's not exactly the most fun thing in the world, but it's also not the worst thing in the world. So it was, it was great because I'm sitting here and listening to you talk about how they normally run away and they flee and they don't like to bite. And I'm looking away and all of a sudden I hear, and I'm getting bit. 
And I look back, <laughs> and sure enough, that thing is chewing into that soft spot in between your thumb yeah. and your fi- your finger. And I, I laugh, and I shouldn't really laugh. It is, you know, it's a serious thing because some people can react really badly to it, and that's why I was worried because there's not a lot of of bites. People, you know, don't we don't have a lot of research on it. Um, and then you were talking about someone who got bitten by the hog nose, hog right? Nose, and yeah. Yeah, and then they swelled up all crazy. So I'm like, great, my arm is going to be huge. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to. I have to go to a new job soon, and I'm going to have the swollen arm. I'm like <laughs> thinking all these things. And you have to explain it's your job. Oh, no, I'm fine. I just got bit by a venomous snake. Oh, exactly. out, you were hiking or something? Oh, no, it's my pet. Exactly. I know. Don't need to. Oh, I don't. I don't want to let them know that early on that I am the crazy snake lady. You know, like they don't need to know that yet. Well, I guess the one. Benefit or benefit bonus, whatever came out of this was that you now know. For now, you at least don't react to the bite from a beak snake. Yes, and I did take two Benadryl right away, um, just to make sure that any reaction I did have, it would cut it down. So, although I have heard okay. from some people that it doesn't do anything, maybe it doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so it's either it cut it down or it just is what it is. I don't know. But it was interesting. I mean, we we. Kept an eye on it, and she did draw on her hand with permanent marker. I mean, I don't think the smiley face was necessary, but... It was huge. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, so, that was that was our night last night. So, everyone, it's impressive that she's actually up and doing the podcast today. I mean, I haven't been up all day. This is the first <laughs> time I'm really actually up. But, yeah, it's it's good stuff. And I'm very excited to to be here. I'm very sad that Carly will not be the co-host, yes. but I'm going to be real sad missing those animal facts of the week, honestly. Yes, we, we are. <laughs> so I, I, hate, I hate to tell everybody, we are not going to keep that up because that is a Carly I thing know. and we can't do it as good as her, but I will try no. and get her every now and then to come on and give us an animal fact because uh, those are entertaining and she, yep. she will be missed, but we will try and have her on some. April is the new somewhat permanent co-host on here. Uh, also, if you don't know, April, the do you want to give a plug for, for your business? Ah, uh, okay, okay. okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that was right there. <laughs> <laughs> words, April, words. Um, yeah. So our business is Designer Exotics, and that's me and Paul Ziegler. We uh, are co-owners of that. And I work with short tails and blood pythons and some colubrid species. I would love for those beak snakes to breed, but I'm having trouble. Uh, and then I work with some geckos also. And then Terrell has uh, Eriangias uh, or Papuan carpet pythons. Who, which, and, which is a, a, a slight like foreshadowing into who our guest is tonight also. Yes, actually. <laughs> well, so I'm not going to bring it up yet. I'm going to let you finish, and then I'm going to bring it up. <laughs> um, and then and he's getting into western hog noses and pine snakes as well. So, so he's going to get bit by venomous snakes also. Yeah, probably so. <laughs> we'll be twins. Yay. So, but, uh, yeah, that leads us into who our, our guest is today. Yeah, our guest is Billy Hunt of Uwabami Reptiles, which is just a fun name to say. How's it going, Billy? It's going good. How are you guys doing? We're good. I was glad to finally get you on. I, I talked to you like before I ever started this. And I was like, I need to get Billy on. And then every week there was like, well, I got this person. But now we got Billy on. But we, we got him on loan from uh, the Herpticulture podcast slash <laughs> uh, Snakes and Stogies slash the Herpticulture magazine. Basically anything that Justin does. We had to loan. They loaned us Billy Hunt. 
<laughs> yeah, I pretty much just follow him around <laughs> these days. So, so how? What you been up to? Sitting at home. You're just working. Sitting at home again. Are you working? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, so yeah, I'm still working. So none of this has really stopped that. You know, as far as me not having a job or anything. So. I don't know. Well, that's good. Um, I don't know what that's like. Yeah. I've been sitting at home for two months, which is why there were like two live streams this week and uh, just a whole bunch of stuff going on because I had to find something to fill the time. He's bored. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I have officially reached boredom. Yeah, two months is a long time. That uh, that sucks. Yeah, I'm just hoping that they don't go by the CDC's uh, recommendation of keeping schools closed till January. Uh, yeah, you hear something different every day about it, it seems like. You uh, really there's do. always a new thing coming up, or they're going to open it, and then they're going to close it. Yeah, it's it's, it's a weird time to live in. We have no idea what's going to happen in next week, let alone four months, five months from now. Yeah, exactly. So, so we got Billy on here. Either we got a couple of different topics. I do want to hit first on what we had on our Facebook page, our, our normal question this was april's first week to ask a question on our facebook page yeah <laughs> so april you want to start with your question and then we'll do my question yes i am paraphrasing because i'm not reading it off of, you, like staring at do you it. want me to read yours sure go ahead and read because i'm staring at it okay <laughs> it says what is the best deal you have come across on reptile supplies slash materials so a lot of responses about bedding, yes. um, aspen bedding, and sphagnum moss. Uh, so finding sphagnum moss and uh, the aspen bedding you can find at um, pet stores, but look at the rodent section instead of the snake section because once they put a snake on it, it like quadruples in well, price. Yeah, and, and and careful in the bedding section if you're not used to it and if you're new to this, you want aspen only bedding i have sometimes seen where it says like softwood bedding uh and it won't say aspen it won't say hardwood find the one that says just aspen on it because you don't want to deal with pine or even cedar because those do have oils that have been known to cause respiratory issues in reptiles so you just want to pay a little extra attention there when you're in the bedding section but like april said you put a snake on it it's a ridiculous price yeah, on everything. Um, and then with the sphagnum moss, um, I believe – can you read that comment and who said that comment? Oh, let's see. There's a couple of them. I'm trying to find – oh, uh, Robert Power says sphagnum moss at Home Depot for one one-hundredth of the cost at a pet store, which is so true. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean like a little tiny thing, a sphagnum moss with like a tortoise and a snake and a lizard on the front of it versus a big old bag of it at a uh, like Lowe's or Home Depot. Um, it, it's funny. The more people, the more you own a reptile, the less you will shop in the reptile section of a pet store. This is very true. Um, the one thing that I do have to say about the sphagnum moss at Home Depot is that it's not as clean as the ones you're going to find um, at pet stores because it has a lot more bark and sticks and things in it also. Um, but if you're cool with that, then it's a great deal. Um, for sphagnum moss, I buy most of my dry good material type stuff at Tinley and I get a bulk big dried block of it that I then rehydrate and that's how I save money uh, on that specifically. Yeah, I uh I've done before like cypress bedding. Some people on here said cypress bedding. Um they go through Lowe's or Home Depot and you buy a big old bag of cypress you would use for the front yard. 
for mulch, like cypress mulch, but you want to get like the non-dyed, non-colored, just plain cypress mulch. Uh, Ryan Holland said, buying organic cypress mulch at Lowe's for around 4 or $5, and you get five times the amount of that little tiny bag they have on the shelf at the pet store. Um, that stuff is just as good. Uh, it'll last you longer. Look at some of the other ones. You had the dish. You had the giant. I've seen those before. Like You had yeah. horse.com, but also if you have a tractor supply or something like that, if you want to explain that one. Yeah, so I actually kind of catered this question because I knew Billy was going to be on, and he mentions this to me like every time he sees me. <laughs> yes, <laughs> well, I, do. I guess okay. It was like two days, and you <laughs> talk about it every time. One was intoxicated, so I understand the repeat on that one. <laughs> but but um, they're they're huge plastic, hard plastic water bowls. Um, they fit about a gallon of water, and I use those for. All my, I have an adult carpet I use it for because they can't really dump it. It's about four inches high, and I think it's 11 and a quarter inches across to kind of give you an idea of how big they are. Um, my bloods can soak in it if they're, you know, a smaller adult, so they can hop in it if they want to um, and not flip them because some water bowls, you know, if you get them from the pet store um, or Walmart, if you get a dog bowl or something like that, uh, they, they tend to tip a lot. These ones don't, and that's why I absolutely love them. Um, and they also have a three-gallon version of the bowl, and I use that for my berm and my retake. And that's only like, I think those ones were six bucks for a three-gallon bowl for a huge snake, and then the other ones were three bucks. So it's a crazy deal for a great, great water bowl. Yeah, I uh, water bowls are a big thing. Check. Like, go to Walmart. I like Walmart in the dog section. They have those square ones that are kind of narrower at the top than at the base. Um, those are great because you can't really tip them. And also, they tend to be have, like, on the sides, they have little handles, which kind of lift up. So, the snake can actually get underneath and hide under the water bowl. And so, in some, like, my racks, I have those. And my corn snakes will use the water bowl not only for water, but also underneath it as a hide. Um, I also, in some of my smaller racks, I like to get PVC cut. That will fit a small water dish in it so that they're less likely to tip the water dish because the PVC is kind of holding it in place. And so these are, again, you'll find that shopping at Dollar Tree, Walmart, Lowe's will help you a lot more than shopping at Petco and PetSmart. Yep. Absolutely. I never go to to pet stores anymore. It's either uh, Home Depot or something online. if you go back to the horse.com thing, because April's right, every time I see her, I get so excited about it. <laughs> um, because the those one gallon, they call them the mini tubs, but they hold a gallon of water. If you think of like a crock that's that big, like you're looking at like 20 bucks for one of them. Easily. Uh, like she said, I think I think mine, yeah, they're about three bucks, 250, something like that. Mm-hmm. What I ended up doing was I bought um, two per cage. And you can get different colors. So I have all my cages color-coded. So whenever I have to do a deep water dish cleaner or whatever, I can just take all those out, put the new ones in, and then I know, you know, I kind of have a schedule depending on what color's in there. Um, and it's they're so easy to clean. It's like a PVC plastic type of deal. Um, you don't get buildup and all that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I notice you don't like if you have hard water. Sometimes on the ceramic bowls, if the level of water goes down, you're going to get that white, chalky residue. You can get that off by just washing the bowls or letting it soak in vinegar. But I really don't even notice that occurring at all with these plastic bowls. 
Yeah, and and Brandon Millichamp also said uh, corner feed dishes from Farm Supply, which is kind of the same thing. It will fit right in the corner of your cage, though, as a water dish as well. Uh, just do yourself a favor. If you've never walked into a tractor supply, go into one and start looking and just go in with an open mind. You'll see so many things. You're like, oh, man, I could probably use that for reptiles, mm-hmm. uh, especially like in the horse section. It's just there's so many things. I, I do that when I walk into like um, to Lowe's or if I walk into Harbor Freight. I have a hard time walking into Harbor Freight and going, man, that would probably work in my reptile room for something. And then try and figure it out later on once I've already bought it. I think that's, that's something that's we like all women do. In Target. <laughs> I think that's something we all do when we're in the hobby is that it gets to a point to where that's all you're thinking about. Everything's compared to what you can use for, you know, your animals. So I do the same thing. I can't go into any store without thinking, oh, I could use that as a hide. I could use that as a perch or whatever. My problem is, yeah, that's funny. I see tubs, and my first thought is, man, a rack. And I'm like, no, I don't. I have racks. I don't need to make <laughs> racks anymore. I don't need to. But like, I can't help but see tubs and go, man, that's a good tub. Like it's 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 weird how <laughs> yeah. you look at a tub as a reptile person and go, that's a good tub. There's no indentions and no corners for stuff to get stuck in. <laughs> like other people are thinking, man, I could store stuff in. I'm like, no, that'd be easy to clean. Well, I like to look at that stuff too because people ask me, well, what should I put my blood python in? You know, what's a good caging thing? And and a lot of newer people are gonna go for the the glass ten gallon for a baby, and that's exactly opposite of what that baby needs so if i go and i scope out all the tubs i can help people pick out you know tubs that for one the lid will actually like secure down and they can't push it up because that's a huge thing because some tubs have awesome don't use sterilite unless sterilite clips unless it's like the expensive sterilites that clip shut don't use a regular sterilite tubs you can flick those things off with a finger Yep. Or if you don't lock it all the way, I did that once to one of Terrell snakes and then it got stuck on like duct tape and ripped its skin open and I was blamed for it because I didn't close it right. <laughs> that was like six years ago though, but I'll never forget yeah, that's, it. <laughs> that's one of the things from like, uh, Sterilite is cheap. Rubbermaid's a little bit better. Uh, Ziploc, when they make some of those plastic storage things, those tend to be pretty good. Uh, Hefty makes some pretty good plastic storage stuff. Uh, but you know, it's funny. I think in the hobby that you also have some people that go, well, why do you cheap out on buying this or that? And like, well, sometimes it's just better. Like even it may be cheaper, but it's better. Like your snakes, blood pythons and specifically are high humidity snake for at least the first year. And they're pretty strong. And so like you said, the lid is easy to flip off and you need to keep that humidity up when they're young. Yep. So yeah. Get, yep, go. But that was, uh, great participation from everyone. So thank you so much for all your answers. Really appreciate that. Yeah, I like that question a lot. I always like to find what other people use um, in their snake rooms. I'm a huge one when I'm watching stuff on YouTube. If it's a if it's a reptile room video, I'll usually watch it. Like anybody's oh, yeah. reptile room video. For sure. Just to see how they heat it, what their air ventilation is like. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, totally. unfortunately they're all ball python reptile room videos, but... They're still good. Uh, that, that still works for me mostly. They just keep them hotter most of the time. So, <laughs> but it mostly works for me. So uh, that was how. Uh, sorry, that was how I found out. Uh, there's a recent video from Brandon Wheeler about his uh, scrubs, and he was just doing like you're saying. You're just watching a video to see what it's about, and he's panning through the whole cage, and I saw his hide box he had. And it was a, I don't know, like a hefty, rugged, 
whatever. Yeah. And um, he cut a hole in it and he put a PVC fitting, you know, glued it in there or whatever. And then he bought the cap to that you can thread on the opening. So if the snake is in there, you could just put the cap on, thread it, take the whole hide out, and do your cage maintenance without having to worry about a crazy scrub python. Well, I have a uh, long-term captive Pataius mucosa here that was like, this would be fantastic because that thing's crazy. And uh, I think the next day I went and got all the stuff and put it together, and it's been amazing. So, yeah, you can definitely find really good things just – paying attention when you're watching videos and it's funny a lot of people don't want to you know you'll run into people like well it doesn't look good if it's just like a black tub in there but you can always decorate that stuff go to a reptile show whenever we have them again and you can <laughs> buy uh like pieces of cork bark and stuff that you could always attach to it that really kind of makes if you're if you're going for a more natural look but want something that's still functional you can you can decorate up stuff however you want but tubs like that work great for hides i thought about doing like the Oh, go ahead, Billy. No, I was just saying, I use it for uh, for that snake in particular, and then I have a pretty hefty coastal carpet that uh, lays some eggs for me, and the, the lay boxes I was using for all my other snakes, just it wasn't big enough for her, so I ended up doing one of those for her, and it worked perfect, too. I use uh, the Sterilite sweater uh, tubs in my four-foot cages. Even if I have, say, cocoa bedding in the cage, that stuff still dries out fairly quickly, even if you spray it on a regular basis. But if you also put cocoa bedding inside of a Sterilite tub and cut a hole in the top, that holds that humidity in for a lot longer. And a lot of times I'll find my snakes just want to hang out in there most of the day, and then they'll come out and roam at night. Absolutely. Whew. So, let me go ahead and we can read my question. My question was kind of kind of reptile supply related and kind of worked along the lines of what april had but it was what is something you bought for a reptile because you were told you needed it and then found out you didn't uh i think all of us very early on in our <laughs> hobby keeping have something where we're like why the hell did i ever buy that um and you can usually tell how long someone's been keeping reptiles based on what that thing is uh that is it, so true i did not think about that well because i'm you looking like, through pictures on facebook and you're like oh honey you're new <laughs> well because like well and you can also tell like I've been in the hobby since early 2000s, and, and really I've had reptiles since the 90s. Uh, and it's funny, there's a couple on here where it was green carpet and a heat rock. And I'm like, that's totally a 90s thing. Like That is, everyone that ever bought any reptile in the 90s or early 2000s was a heat rock and that green cage carpet. Because we were all told at the pet store that's what they had. Uh, but as you get farther along, you start to see people that bought like, Reptile kits, as kits became a thing in the mid-2000s, having these reptile kits in Petco and PetSmart, you find people buying the, the leopard gecko kit or the, the dumbest thing ever, which is the snake kit. Uh, and it's just always funny to see what, you know, heat rocks are always the number one thing, I think, that, and I don't think people buy them as much anymore, but used to be the thing that people would buy that you definitely never, ever needed. Yeah, those things are pretty awful. You should just cut I, uh, the cord off immediately. Yeah, make it a decoration. Ever come across one. <laughs> yeah. I got duped into the uh, calcium stuff. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. It's safe but, until yeah. it's not safe. Uh, yeah, I found that out. Oh, oh man. But uh, that and then what else? Remember those? Because uh, I was in the lizards when I first got into it. Um, the lizard hammocks. They're oh like yeah, the <laughs> such triangle size. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I've I had some. That. I've had some of those, but I've never bought them. I've I've been given a lot of 
bearded dragons over the years, and they always seem to come with one. Yeah. Did, did yours you ever use it? One? Because yeah. I had one. The problem is, like, after a month, they just fall off, and it's not holding a full-grown bearded. It's just not. Yeah, no, it definitely won't. Now, That's the biggest issue I now, had with the suction cups. Not there like are hammocks they will use. Uh, uh, my buddy, uh, she makes a PVC frame and then makes an actual one out of cloth that hooks onto the PVC frame. And my wife bought one because she has a, uh, a bearded for her class pet. And when they take it outside, she'll lay it in the hammock and it'll just lay in the hammock in the sun. <laughs> That's pretty cool. But, yeah, cool. Um, and it, it, but I mean, it's pretty big. Like it doesn't really, you have to have a pretty big cage for it to go in. It's not going in a 40 gallon breeder tank. It would take up most of the tank, but it's a great thing if you want to, like that shows she'll put them on the table to show. And so she has a bearded, she can set in it and it will just sit there. The whole show just hanging out in the in the hammock. So as as ridiculous as they seem, done correctly, they're fine. But the little mesh one they sell that sticks to the side of the glass, <laughs> it's not holding a full grown bearded. That thing's to fall right off the glass, and it's usually not big enough for a full grown bearded. Like they're just gonna slide off. Yeah, um, usually after they're out of the hatchling phase, yeah. the suction cups, like April was saying, are uh, pretty useless. And I, and I was looking through. Uh, let's see, Lance Kirkman. Put Hot Rock, Robert Powers, uh, a Hot Rock in Repticarpet, uh, the old Red Heat Bulb, uh, Dallas Rua, a Red Heat Light, uh, Michael Copney was a uh, Repticarpet. That's, that stuff is horrible. Have y'all ever used Repticarpet? Nope. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. So you know the smell that it has after just like a few weeks. Oh, yeah. That and then them getting their claws, like, oh, yeah. it would all thread up. And yeah, it was a mess from the get go. Yeah, it'll never be clean ever. Is the is the reptile carpet? Is that like the the astro Well, it's basically? two things. Let's see. When I first got into reptiles in the nineties and early two thousands, it was the plastic astroturf that right. they, that you'd go into the pet shop. They'd have it on a giant roll and they'd cut it to length for your ten gallon or your twenty oh, gallon. Okay. <laughs> um, and then later on in the two thousands, you had the companies come out with the different color. Like it's basically just really really thin, like carpet or almost felt. Um, and it's yeah, so much like felt that, that yeah, and like, the, like I said, the claws get hung into it like Velcro. Um, and, and it's just, it, it lays in there flat the first time. And then we're like, oh, I'll clean it. And then it becomes wrinkly like it's a washcloth. <laughs> it's just, it's never going to be used again. It's horrible. Um, Ryan Holland said the 10 gallon reptile kit. Basically, folks, if you're out there, don't ever buy a reptile kit. There are no reptile kits in big box stores that I would recommend for a single person. That is a shame, though, because I think there could easily be reptile. And I've talked to it with other people before about putting together and selling a kit that truly has what you need. Like if you are selling a snake kit, it needs to have a thermostat, needs to have a thermostat, not a thermometer. I mean, a thermometer should be in there, but, you know, a thermostat, a heat pad, a decent water dish, a hide and some aspen bedding. And that's a good kit. But that's not what you get when you go to PetSmart. You get a day bulb and a night bulb, which is the dumbest shit ever. The old day bulb and night bulb. Yeah, I fell for yeah. that one when I first Uh-oh. started keeping. There's not one thing that you've mentioned that I didn't fall for. Yeah, we've all <laughs> done it. Yeah. We've all done it. And uh, like this person put carpet and UV for ball pythons. I get it. Some people will say ball python. All snakes can use UV, but you're really talking about ball pythons that live in the ground most for life. You probably don't need a UV light for it. Just throwing that out there. People will get mad at me for that one, I'm sure. But I just... That stuff drives me nuts, and especially because those people were so gullible when they go to a pet store. Because they go there, they see a lizard, they see a snake, and and they're like us in the beginning. They fall in love with it, and they think this is awesome. And sometimes those kits do nothing but set them up for failure. And it's a shame, you know? 
so every kit, if you're going to have a heat light in it, should have a ceramic heat emitter, not a heat light. Ceramic heat emitters are amazing, but the problem is people see them on a shelf priced at 30 bucks versus a light bulb for 6 bucks. They go, oh, I'm going to buy the light bulb when they don't realize a ceramic heat emitter will last them five, six years. It, they last Forever. so long. Yeah. And I, I was exactly that person. I was like, oh, the light bulb is so much cheaper than this. This is like 30 bucks. I can't. What the heck? No. Spend the $30. <laughs> It'll save you so many trips to the pet store. Well, and also people aren't told, like, they get a bearded dragon. And they want to start it out in a 10-gallon. You're like, And they don't understand. You can't really do a bearded dragon in a 10-gallon. Just because you can't get a heat gradient in a 10-gallon. You know, it's, yeah, it's all – you're going to fry yeah. everything. <laughs> you know, and then also they don't understand if you go from a 20-gallon to a 40-gallon, you're going to have to change. That heat emitter that may have been working for the 20-gallon will not work for your 40-gallon. You're going to need to go up to be able to get the same temperature in the same spot. Um, but these are things that obviously your big box pet stores, unfortunately, don't tend to have the staff that can inform people on this. I don't really think there's a lot of solid training across the board. There's not. I mean, I I, I used to, I worked at a PetSmart and I managed at a PetSmart and, you know, I'm different. I came into that with the knowledge. I mean, I had been a zookeeper prior to that. I kept reptiles for over a decade prior to that. Um, But that was also one that drove me nuts because someone comes in, I give them information and they don't want to take my information because I'm just a guy that works at PetSmart. Yeah. But I'm not just a guy that works at PetSmart. So. But then even even as we're having this conversation, that's almost the tone that we're giving too. So we're totally being hypocrites right now. Well, no, it is. But here's the thing. <laughs> I do know the that the bulk of the employees at a PetSmart or a Petco don't know jack shit about reptiles. And they aren't told what they really need to know. They're given uh, some pamphlets here and there, but but they don't have experience. And, and that's the problem, I guess, is – that's why we always talk about if you can find a good reptile store, because usually a good reptile store, the employees are reptile people. And, and we don't they, have like any mom or pop reptile stores here. It's only the big chains. I don't have I don't anything here. Yeah, I don't know if like, there's like legal rules to it or why that is the case, but it's just probably because it's hard nowadays. It's hard to open up a shop because there is PetSmart and Petco, and supplies are the bulk of your sales in a pet store. And yes, you may be able to tell the person the, the better supplies, but they've got something somewhat equivalent at these pet stores and they're going to go to Petco or PetSmart because it's cheaper or, you know, nowadays Amazon. Yeah. Yeah. I have my bearded dragon basically will only eat those flukers, red um, pellets. <laughs> he's, he's not, they have to be the red ones and they can't have the bugs in it. And he's so weird. I give him insects. I give him roaches. I have a whole colony. And he doesn't really even touch that. It's only these stupid freaking pellets. But I got those on Amazon. And they have like a subscription service where every two months I'm going to get my supply of my bearded dragon food. So, <laughs> yeah, Amazon works. <laughs> Unfortunately, we, we fall into the same thing where it's just cheaper for us to do that kind of stuff. Because in all honesty, animals are not the main call are the main money maker at a pet store. They're just not. They're what people Mm-mm. brings people into a pet store. But the thing that brings people back to a pet store is they need to buy some food or they need to buy some, you know, supplies. And nowadays it's just too expensive, unfortunately, for these smaller shops uh, to be able to compete. It's a shame. Cause it is. It, yeah. I do love going into a a true pet store where people will actually you know, we've all been in shitty pet stores, but a good pet store. 
You think about so, it too, because a lot of people, you know, going through the years of the hobby, people's dreams, you know, are to open up a pet store yeah. because they're so passionate about the animals and everything. And it's just not feasible really. I mean, some people do it and are successful and that's amazing and congratulations, but it's, it's hard to start any business really, especially gosh, right now. My goodness. <laughs> I have two uh, reptile shops pretty close to me. Uh, they're both good, but they make most of their money. We have a, um, here at Tampa and Orlando are the two biggest Repticon shows yeah. that they have. So they, I think there's four at each location a year and they're always there and they're always doing very well. So I think that's where they get a lot of their money. Cause like you said, a, a pet shop's really just selling supplies. Like, yeah, you start it cause you like the animals, but it, you're not going to be there for the animals. It's more look how much supplies or feeders can we get out the door. Yeah. And I always tell folks, when you see an animal for sale in a pet store, the pet store probably paid a third of whatever you see the price on. And people want to go, why is it so expensive? Well, they also have to pay for the electricity for that building, the rent for that building. They got to pay the employees that are working in that building. So that's normally you see a, a three times markup on any animals. Um, but by the time you buy that animal, there's not really any a lot of profit there. It's it's going to be in that snake kit that's on the shelf, you know, that lizard yeah, kit, that sure. carpet, the stuff that truly doesn't cost a lot and has no upkeep. So, but anywho, that was our two questions on supplies. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it more, but our two main things on supplies. Uh, one thing I did want to bring up that happened this weekend was CritterCon happened yesterday. <laughs> uh, our buddy Joe Phelan, at Port City Pythons and From the Ground Up podcast uh, was amazing and put on this great event, CritterCon, for reptile educators. And if you got a chance to see it, if you bought a ticket, uh, I guarantee you, Joe would want to thank you personally, every single one of you. He did. He put a lot of work into it, and I got to give him a giant pat on the back for the work he did. Um, I know April and myself and Ryan Cox, we had a little chat going on during the whole thing, and it was it was entertaining, to say the least. Especially when I was five seconds behind. <laughs> yeah. And you guys make comments about it and like ruin it for me. We I ruined all surprises. Snake was going to come on the screen and you just tell me. <laughs> ruined every surprise. <laughs> but it was a great event. I mean, there were a, a ton of people online in that little chat there talking the whole time. And I got to ask questions to obviously Emily at Snake Discovery was what all the 12 year olds wanted to talk to. Um, I'm, I'm not bad-mouthing 12-year-olds out there that love Snake Discovery. I'm just saying, man, there were a lot of them in that chat. Which is really great because it gave parents <laughs> probably <laughs> a little bit of a break. Yeah. Because Go. all the kids are watching that show. So that, you know, is good. Yeah. Honestly, I think it's something that, you know, especially if, if the world is going how it's going now, um, that's something maybe we continue doing and have the, the virtual shows. Oh, I, I think that's pretty cool. I even thought watching that thinking, man, even when everything opens back up and these guys are still doing shows, if they just did this a couple times a year, it still would be good for them and everyone, people that can't make it to their stuff. Uh, also gets their name out there. It's, it's just, it's, it's educational in any way, shape, form. You can put out more education on reptiles. I think is great. And I think this event was one of the first things that kind of really showed, Hey, we can do this. Yeah, I even I, it just came across my mind now. You know, if you are a huge fan of Snake Discovery and a huge fan of Emily, but you don't live in the area, and you know, 
you're having a birthday party and you want wanted to do a animal show with her, that's something you could probably do virtually now too. Oh yeah. And you know, stream on the TV and then she can see the comments and interact like you know, that's something maybe I'm just throwing it out there guys, maybe something to think about, new yeah. business venture. And and the uh and those other guys are on there. Crosstown Exotics, they're awesome, even though they didn't show my favorite reptile that they have. <laughs> I do. Which one is your favorite? They have an Egyptian Euromastix, and that thing is massive. Those things do I get saw, really big. I saw one of those at my very first Daytona show. Like I think it was, yeah, it was 2002, and I still remember that animal like it was oh, yesterday. They, they were so impressive. They had it at Tinley in October. And we were packing up on the last day, and I got to hold it. And I was like, oh, my God, this thing is awesome. Because, I mean, I have a Euromastix, but it's small. Uh, it's, not a, it's not an Egyptian. But the Egyptians, for anybody out that doesn't know, uh, a Euromastix, for one, is basically the opposite of a bearded dragon. <laughs> the spiky part is on the backside instead of the front side. Um, and they eat vegetables. And they look kind of like a like a, a tortoise without a shell. Um, but they're yeah. awesome. And Egyptians get, like, two foot long. Yeah, they get big. Yeah. Euros are great, man. I my last show that I've ended, I talked to this guy came up to my table and of course he was talking carpets, but then, you know, talking to him, found out he just got some Euros and I probably talked to him for about forty five minutes about those things because those were my favorite lizards I kept when I was doing the lizard stuff. And, yeah. Uh, I think they get overlooked a lot and it's they're such great pets and as long as you give them what they need, I mean they're they're awesome. Yeah, I mean, the, the only tricky thing for a gyro is temperature. You just got to get it super freaking hot. You know, they like to bask at 120 degrees. No problem. Um, you give them that, they're fine. Yeah, and they eat vegetables. You don't have to deal with bugs. So all the moms out there who can't stand having to buy crickets for their bearded dragon, sell someone the bearded dragon and go buy a gyro. And they're more colorful. Depending on the ones you get, they're way more colorful. Like, I have the oscillated gyros. My oscillated euro is awesome. It's got blues and reds and greens. And then there's also the uh, ornate euros. They're a little more expensive, but I mean, they're crazy colored. Yeah, of course, my bougie ass wanted the ornate ones. And yeah. then I saw the price tag and I was like, I think I'll wait. <laughs> I, I still yell at myself. I think it was 2009 in Daytona in one of the euro tubs on one of the tables where they had a ton of euros in a tub. There were all these fairly plain ones. And there was one that looked almost like an ornate priced at the same price as the cheap ones and i didn't buy it and i'm like i should have bought that one. Oh well <laughs> lesson oh well. learned <laughs> so along buy with, it <laughs> exactly along with CritterCon, uh we posted this on our on our facebook page a couple weeks ago but i got a big write-up and i'm gonna share this write-up that i got from the people over at the uh shovid 19 online reptile show uh they had that back on april 17th and 18th and they gave me a big old write-up on on how it went and all that. And I don't want to miss anything here. So I'm going to post that whole write-up on our page. Um, people can read that. But that was great. It was an online herp show. So, you know, like the first one that kind of happened. And that's also a really cool idea, too. An online virtual reptile show in this time where we can't really go to reptile shows. So I think we're starting to kind of figure out th this whole being locked at home is going to change how we do a lot of stuff from here on out, even after you know, coronavirus is gone. So, yeah. Yeah. So Adjusting. Yes. Like, uh, like you guys were saying, the whole virtual, uh, show and stuff like what they just did. Like that's a niche that, you know, is untapped. That could, there's unlimited potential for that idea. Yeah. So. You know, the only, the only thing is, yeah, the kid doesn't get to pet something, but 
they still would get to see some really cool stuff that, you know. I wonder if you wouldn't have to pay for insurance or if insurance would be cheaper because you aren't having kids pet the animal. Well, you definitely wouldn't have to pay for the – I think the only insurance is there to cover that kind of stuff. Right. So that would be like, you know, a money saver thing if you just did virtual pop-ups. I'll call them virtual pop-up parties. Yeah, I mean, and really, it's it's a it's a good idea. I mean, most homes now have smart TVs. It's easy to pull stuff up on a smart TV. Yep. Um, like I said, there's no insurance. It's it's easy on a, on a Saturday. You spend an hour or whatever online talking to somebody, showing your animals, and you made you know a hundred bucks, two hundred bucks, whatever it is. You know, and at the same time, you got to show some really cool animals. These kids that would never have seen without you. So. I definitely think it's going to be something you see happen more often. I think it's great. So I hope I see it more often. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I was looking at our post that I make every week. I kind of made it late this week. But every week I make the post about wanting to hear what other people have to talk about. And, and Ryan Goslow must love dinosaurs because he always gives us dinosaur stuff. This one was cool. It was a, uh, a new Spinosaurus uh, dinosaur that they found that – they realized the tail section is actually made for swimming. So it's a, like one of the first swimming dinosaurs. Uh, you know, it had kind of like, uh, you see some of those lizards that have like those fin like tails that they're still very lizard like, but they're starting to grow that higher fin on the tail so they can kick through the water better. Uh, and so that was kind of cool. That was from Ryan. Uh, let's see. Remember, oh, uh, Brandon Millichamp. He shared one about a new Madagascan frog species. For the frog people. And all this is on our Facebook page. You can go, you can find the links, you can go to this stuff. So that was there. I also want um, to- for those of you who aren't aware, the Facebook page is the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. Yes. You can just search that and then uh, put a, a like and a follow on that, and then you can uh, give us your input on what you want us to talk about too. Look at you falling right. You're doing good. You're an awesome co host. Way to go. <laughs> I'm absolutely like she's been here the whole stuff. time. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, one thing that got posted on, on our Facebook page this week was from our buddy Brian Holt. He posted one about Samboas, so I was, I was excited to see that. It was uh, a new species of Samboa. Uh, I know I've talked about it before. Uh, over in the last year, my, my favorite species that I got was my Indian Samboas, my uh, Eryx Johnai yeah, uh, Indian Samboas. But they have now found, and I'm going to butcher the ever-loving shit out of the scientific name, uh, Eryx Sistenensis. We're going to go with Perfect. that. Yep. Yeah, that's all you. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Good. It's an, a Samboa, like the Indian Samboa, very similar, found in Iran. Uh, and one physical difference is that the tip of the tail is pointier. And there are fewer dorsal scale rows on mid-body. I know people out there going, I don't give a shit, it's a Samboa. But I just think it's cool. It's a new species. Um, and if you've ever held a Kenyan Samboa, the whole, like, Indian Samboa and this new Samboa are nothing like that. They're they're much longer. They're thinner. Um, scales are very, very small. They're smooth. They're cool snakes. But that article was uh, posted to our page also by uh, Brian Holt, who I got to meet uh, this year when I was hanging out with you guys down there in Florida, which is the last yeah. time I saw Billy at, at PA and Cody's place. Yeah, that was a good time. That was a, that was a fun trip and. It was fun to put faces to a lot of these names, and so I'm starting to see some of these names pop up and go, oh, yeah, I met this person there. I met this person. Uh, Brian was one that I met there. 
uh, and talked to him. He's from Alabama, so I was originally from Alabama, so we had a lot of fun stories. Yeah, uh, he was a cool guy to meet. Yeah, and he had some pretty cool stories. <laughs> um, so that's all I got. I think it's all the posts. I got through all the postings on our Facebook. It was kind of a busy, for being a fairly short, felt like a short week. It was a very busy week on the Facebook page. How are you even defining a short week? You've been doing nothing all week. Well, I, <laughs> How I, is it it's short? I, well, ouch. Okay, so I felt like this week flew by much faster than my previous weeks. I think the problem, the one thing that helped was I had something to look forward to on Saturday because I looked forward to CritterCon. So, like, I actually had to remember that that's on a Saturday because until that point, I had forgot what days were. <laughs> I just knew the sun goes up and down at some point, and I'm awake for some of it. My roommate's getting to that point now, too. Like, wait, what day is it? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I walk out of the house today. I'm like, I ask my wife, did you check the mail? She's like, it's Sunday. Oh, yeah. They don't do that on Sundays. I actually, I program my Alexa for every morning when I tell her good morning. She will tell me what day it is just so I actually know what nice. day it is. Because <laughs> nice. I was forgetting, too. <laughs> this week I had two live streams, and I look forward to CritterCon and and so, like, there were things I planned for, and so they came, like, on a week when I have nothing planned, it drags forever. But, I don't know. It was just a different kind of week for me. Plus, I didn't post my, my normal stuff on the Facebook page until way late in the week. Slacker. I know. You know, I was, I was, <laughs> I was busy trying to find a quality host, and, well, I ended up with you instead. But it's fine. Here, I thought you were going to be nice. Man, you turned that one there on is, me. <laughs> there is no way you thought I was going to be nice. I yeah, really you, did for a second. Yeah, I was really going to be like, oh, that's so nice. I'm like, well, turn around. <laughs> Not so nice. For anyone listening, I am very happy April is my co-host. Uh, I, I met April. actually like me. I do actually like you. <laughs> I met April kind of at Tinley. I don't honestly, I barely remember meeting you at Tinley. Uh, Katie had to remind me before before Florida. Katie had to remind me that I met you at Tinley. Yep. Um, and then and then Ryan couldn't go to Tinley, and you ended up filling Ryan's spot in the Airbnb, which was awesome. We hung out at the Airbnb. It was you know with Joe and everything. And By Tinley, you met Carpet Fest. No, but. yeah, yes. <laughs> Tinley was the first time I met you, and then Carpet Fest was the second time that I actually well I really met you, and I realized who you were. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then you added me into the group chat, and you like the way you worded it was like, I don't know, like you were gifting me this thing. It was really amusing you're, to you're, me. Like, you're oh, welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, you, you're okay now, I guess. I'm like, oh, thank you, James. <laughs> it's funny you talk to different people in the reptile hobby, and that's one thing social media has done. There's so many group chats now throughout different people in the hobby. So like, there's the NPR chat. That's a huge one. But then, like, you know, Billy said earlier, he talked to Ryan Cox earlier in a different group chat. Who Ryan Cox is in mine and your group chat, April. And then, you know, it's just, it's such a weird network now. It's the the good part of social media. It still doesn't help make up for the horrible parts of social media, which are everywhere. But the fact that we can all still talk, and there's so many groups, and we share so much information now, is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice talking to your friends. Sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> yeah, <that's> your, <laughs> sometimes your friends get drunk and bit by venomous snakes. But <laughs> wait, who, what? who did that? <laughs> uh oh, one other and this is gonna kinda lead into one of my YouTube videos, but and also one thing that I know Billy wanted to talk about. 
Uh, Hunter Sheffield said, if you're not talking about molecular reptile producing duns two years in a row, are you really a reptile podcast? And I agree. Billy told me he wanted to talk about duns pythons, and I was going to bring it up also. But uh, yeah, duns pythons were made. Those out there who grow, what's a duns python? That's probably about the right question you should be asking. I mean, yeah, so so the the duns are they're in the Liasis group. Um, when you look at pictures of them, they look similar to maclots. They, uh, you know, some of them have like the freckles on them like that, like the maclots do. Uh, some of them have just like a patternless type of deal. Uh, so after Carpet Fest, I actually, me and Casey Cannon went up to KJ's place. Uh, KJ had the female that Ryan used last year uh, on breeding loan with them. So KJ had a trio of babies. These things were absolutely insane. They were like, they were basically liasis babies, but they had, like one was solid red uh, with a silver head. Uh, another one was like Easter yellow um, with a silver head. Like they looked like Amazon tree boas, but they were liasses. Like it was absolutely well, incredible. That's the, but see that right there is the problem with, and no one get offended with how I say this, with the ugly dirt pythons of Australia, uh, and that whole area over there, and you, you got Dunn's pythons, Maclots pythons, and Savu pythons, right? As babies, they are awesome looking. They're all very colorful and they're cool looking, but as adults, they're dirt pythons. I mean, they're very dark and kind of you can kind of forget them in passing. You know, they don't they don't. Have you- have what? you handled an adult olive python? No, I have not handled an adult olive. They get big. That's different, though. They're big. The other guys aren't. Olives are the impressive one. And that whole group, olives are the impressive one. But, like, maclots, you don't see maclots in the hobby as much anymore. You don't see savus, in the, and you don't see duns, really, I mean, other than these guys breeding them. Um, but I remember seeing maclots and savus in pet stores, just random pet stores. Like, I saw a savu in a mall shop pet store once. Um, which you yeah, don't used them. to be really common, but the yeah, problem they is they're not bright yellow and black like jungles, and so as far as public view on them, they're not as cool. And so I I wonder a lot like they do on NPR when when Owen and Eric talk about it. Would Dunn's pythons being hatched be as cool if they weren't as rare? Would you I, well? I'm the I'm the weird guy. I've caught the Maclot bug the past few years, so I have a little army of them. I I might be in a different spot as far as how I appreciate different species and stuff. Uh, I totally get what you're saying, and I get it too uh, with my stuff. Like if I go to a show, I had hatchling jungles. Nobody looked at them. Year and a half later, I had the same animals. I didn't have enough of them. Oh, yeah. It's like, where, where were you hiding these things? It's like, oh, my gosh, guys, <laughs> they've been there the whole time. But yeah, I get what you're saying with like, the general public. Like, like I said, I'm not, I'm not bad-mouthing those species at all. I think those species are cool. And I think uh, a lot of times it takes someone who's been in the hobby, you know, 10, 15, 20 years to get into those species because they started out with, you know, coastals and jungles and the bright-colored stuff, the stuff that's more common on all, all these tables. And then they slowly start to get into these niche things. Uh, I can agree with that. And, and so I kind of one of the YouTube videos kind of ties into this. I want to talk about uh, Brian Barcheck 
did produce, well, his female Savu Python did lay eggs in a video he posted this past week. Um, and Savu's like, they used to be super cheap and just in all the pet stores and you can find them all over the place. But then I think on, again, for a lot of these ball pythons kind of ruined, ruined them too. You know, a pet store would rather fill itself up with colorful ball pythons than a Savu or a Maclots. Um, I think that trend kind of goes in waves, though, too. It does. You have, like, um, is it the Mexican black king snake? I think, that was going through that recently? Yeah, it's, it's the Mexican blacks yeah. are on their way on their way down, but they definitely hit a high, like $200 and $300, sometimes $400 a piece. Yeah. They used and to be like, 50 bucks. <laughs> right. And so sometimes yeah. I think not only, like, coloring, like we were just talking about, but the fact that it is so cheap or so you know, widely available that people don't want it because of that. Yeah. You know, it's not like exciting, but then when it becomes, you know, rare because now people aren't really breeding them, then it, you know, hoopla and all this excitement and stuff, which is so, kind of silly, honestly, but it is how, you know, the trends roll. And, and I get, I mean, look, I, I own Sambos and I get made fun of all the time by my friends for owning Sambos and I don't give two shits. I think they're cool. So, like, Billy having those Mac lots, yeah, they may not do anything for anybody else, but Billy likes them. And, and that's one thing I think in this hobby, people, and I think we've gotten more to that point in this hobby. People are starting to get into the stuff they like and not the stuff they're told they should like. I think it's yeah, also sure. possible that we as people in the hobby are maturing in the hobby. So the people we surround ourselves with True. are more into that. And, and that just happens to be what we see more of now. Um, but I, I don't necessarily think that it's a popular thing that we can totally generalize. My my thought's always been if like if I'm gonna pick something that I'm gonna work with, I try to not even look at price point or anything like that. I mean obviously you have to, but like in my mind and I tell people this when they say, Oh, I wanna get into breeding, what should I get? and all that. If every single snake that we have, you know, at our disposal to get was the same price what would be the one that stood out to you that you liked and most of the time it's not the ones that people end up getting yeah you yep. know like they don't get what they like personally they just see the end result which i do think that kind of segues into one of the videos that we uh yes. watch now that i think about it yeah Perfect segue, actually. Well, I, I, I want to ask Billy a couple questions, though. Just Maclots, if yeah. I'm right, thinking right, yeah. they're what, a six-foot boa? Well, a python, right? Six-foot python-ish? Yeah, they um, a healthy one is around six foot. Uh, they can hit nine. Uh, that That's the difference, and this goes for every python species, and you guys give me your thoughts on it. There's a difference between mature adult size and maximum size yes just because they can get nine feet long does not mean they need to when, whenever you see a huge maclot and you see there's no distinction from the back of the head to the neck it's just like one long you know neck pretty much you know that's an obese animal and that's you know well, i think it's not going to produce it's not going to be good berms and retics fit that what you just said berms and retics fit that exactly because when you think berms and retics a lot of people think giant snakes and don't get me wrong they are big snakes but a mature breeding sized retic is not 25 foot long a no there's none of them in the hobby you know that that's that's not i mean a mature breeding sized retics what i mean a little over 10 foot and it's fine uh you yeah, know you're looking 
safely for a female retic, probably 12 to 15 feet, depending on locality and lineage and stuff. And, and not massive. It's not like a size of a tire. You know, it's they don't have to be that. It's that happens a lot with those. You know, my buddy got uh, someone gave him a berm and it, it was a an 18 foot berm. And you would think female, right? 18 foot berm, female. It's a male. It's an 18-foot male That's, berm, and I think when he got it, it weighed somewhere around 180, 190. And that's someone just pounding it with food. Yes. I mean, he, he put that thing on a diet for a year. He basically starved that thing for a year to get it to lose, I think, somewhere around 50 to 60 pounds. Well, like, how many times have you, you know, told someone that's not into snakes that you keep snakes, and they're like, oh, yeah, my cousin has a snake. It's yeah. going to be that albino Burmese python, and it's going to be the one that's pounded, you know, huge with food. And for that matter, it's the one that sizes you up and, and tries to, to see if it can eat you too. <laughs> it lays in your we, bed. All just, we all just let them run loose in our house, right? Exactly. <laughs> I actually really have to tell people that I, I don't do that. I uh, can't believe all, that people assume that all that's the time. a thing. All the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I get asked that a lot. I think every single one of us that owns snakes that tells anybody that we own snakes has been asked that question. Uh, it's insane. Multiple times. Uh, I guess it's hard for us to understand someone asking that question because we're mentally we can't put ourselves in their shoes. Like I have no idea how you would ask somebody. I, you know, I don't. It's a weird question. That's true. So, but uh, so yeah, I just, I, Maclots, I was trying. To, if I was trying to think, they're they're a fairly thin-bodied, medium-sized python, right? If kept correctly in a proper feeding schedule, yes. So, because all, all the liasses, the olives, those are the big ones, right? And those too, they're. Uh, I talked to Nick Mutton uh, a while back, and olives came up, and he said it. He's like, the problem with olives in the hobby is that people get them too big, too fat, and then they don't produce. They don't need to be twelve foot long to produce. They can produce an eight nine foot slender, you know, slender body, and all that. And then they'd be perfect, but that doesn't happen because we're told, oh, they can get 12 feet. They have to get 12 feet before we try to produce them. And then, you know, it's just like us, you know, when we're obese as people, bad things happen. Well, you know? That's because they're told they have to get to 12 feet. And then they're also told they can be breeding size in three and a half, four years. So in their mind, 12 foot in four years. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's the race. Just, yeah, or they, you know want an impressive big snake yeah. and so they do what it takes to to do that kind of like their ego gets ahead of the health of the snake let's well, like with my boas none of my male boas will ever hit over five foot ever i won't let them i keep them fairly small they'll, they'll live in a rack their entire life because they're not going to get big and, and it's not a i starve them they're getting plenty of food but you know i mean y'all that breed know that big fat males don't do shit Yep, they're lean, mean breeding machines. Yeah, I've had big six-foot male boas. They don't care about touching another boa. They're big, fat, and lazy. So, same for pythons. So, yeah. anywho, yeah. But I, I saw, I saw you want to talk about the Duns pythons. Uh, what was the other one? Something. Else. Uh, he also Ryan also produced southern black lips. Or uh, white lips. White lips. Black face, white lips. Yeah. A lot of words there. Um, <laughs> a lot of colors. Which, 
Yeah, which those are different from the northerns. They're not the gold. They're completely black, and then they have the white lips and stuff. They get a little bigger. Uh, there hasn't been a lot of success with them. Ryan did produce them three years in a row years ago, uh, and then kind of took a break from them and you know got lucky this year. I guess his sex ratio uh, wasn't that great. He was very male heavy, but just the fact that more captive bred southern white lips are in the hobby now is you know that's a great thing. Yeah, that's cool. awesome. They, yeah, I've always said one thing that scares me if I ever kept anything like any of the Liasis or some of those other Australian pythons is breeding is the number one thing that scares me with any of those things. Just because they're known to be reptile and snake eaters for sure. Uh, I'd be horrified to go, oh yeah, I'm breeding these guys. Leave and then come back and find one. Yeah, I used to have a pair. <laughs> I, I still have a pair. You'll see them yeah. in about seven days. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a... I mean, anything you put together, there's always that uh, that possibility. I had two separate pairs of carpet pythons this year. One pair, the male latched onto the female's head, and then another pair, the female latched onto the male's head. And oh. you know, it was fun getting them apart and all that. But it's just, it's a risk. You know, the most risky thing you can do with any of your animals is breed them. Yes. Yep. So, no matter what it is. So. Yeah. I mean, I put. A, a male sambo in with a female this year i close the lid and all of a sudden i hear thrashing and i open it and she's got a hold of them I'm like what the hell like y'all don't <laughs> eat each other yeah it, it happened Surprise. It was, uh, yeah it was fun getting a seven eight foot female coastal off that male <laughs> did she was, also uh, wrap him or did she just bite him uh she they both did like a wrap type of deal uh, it wasn't like a more yeah, it wasn't a uh, it wasn't like a full on let me throw a couple coils type of thing because they the male wouldn't have made it if she did that. But uh, yeah. I think it was like a a reflex, and then kind of realized pretty soon, oh, this isn't food. What am I doing? But I'm already here type of thing. Yeah. So uh, yeah, first time I've ever dealt with that. So it was definitely a possibility that can happen when you pair stuff. Yeah, that's scary, especially like uh oh. Who was it that had the albino olives? Um, my brain just went blank. He does boas, and he had the albino olives, and he's um, Dave Palumbo. Yeah, Palumbo, and didn't like one of his, it like ate one. Uh, I don't, I don't remember if that actually that could have happened. I honestly don't keep up with the time yeah. So, but I was thinking but... I, at the time, I was thinking that those things are expensive. Like that was right. Uh, yeah, that's really, uh, yeah. That's an expensive meal. Yeah, that'd be a hard pill to swallow. Oh, so anybody out there thinking about breeding, and we're going to talk about breeding and stuff a little bit later, but uh, just know that that is definitely always. But you know, I think a lot of people we always hear the they hear the horror stories from us, and in their head they go, "Well, that won't happen to me." And I'm like, "It may not. It may never happen to you, but it may happen the very first time." <laughs> you know, you, you got to yeah. know that. Yeah, I've bred a few years now, and this year was my first time dealing with that. You know, so it could definitely put you in a false sense of security. Again, oh, okay, I got it all figured out. And they're still animals; they're yes. still gonna, you know, do what they do. That's why I always, every now and then, those people that will, uh, they breed, they keep stuff together, and they'll feed them together. And I'm like, no, no, don't do that, because if if you've never, I mean, y'all seen it when a snake goes into feeding mode, and you can see that switch in a snake. It's in feeding mode for a while, even after the food is down and swallowed. It's still in feeding mode, and and a lot of times 
anything that moves is perceived as food. And so I was. Yeah, I had that. My I co-had my beak snakes for a while. Yeah. And probably within, I don't know, the first couple feedings, I just luckily checked on them, and one had actually the one that uh, bit me yesterday was in the other one's mouth <laughs> because you know one's starting to eat food and the other's like oh food and then it's kind of like a tug of war and the smaller one lost. And then he got you back yesterday for putting through that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she did. <laughs> uh, so speaking of feeding, uh, one another video I want to talk about, we talked about earlier was Snake Discovery. Emily and Ed over at Snake Discovery, they put out a video that I thought was cool uh, because it was talking about feeding tiny snakes. And the part that I really I really liked was they were feeding decay snakes. Anybody out there that doesn't know what a decay snake is, it's if you're in the South, it's what everybody calls a ground rattler. Uh, they're not rattlesnakes. They're just little itty bitty snakes that live in people's gardens and, and little grandmas find them all the time. They rattle their tail and they call them ground rattlers and they're scared of them or they'll call them baby copperheads or whatever else they want to call them. But they're very common. They get like, I don't know what, less than a foot long. Um, but they're an awesome little worm eating snake. And in Ed and Emily's video on snake discovery, they were feeding them chopped up worms and watching these little guys like take them from the tongs. One, it's way more patience than I think I have, which is probably why I don't own decay snakes as much as I like them. That was a lot of patience to tong feed chunks of earthworm to these three little baby decay snakes. But they're so cool. And the thing that I love about them is how how variable they are in appearance, even in your own yard. I've found them in my front yard, and they'll have tons of pattern and color and be amazing. And then I'll find them in the back, and they will be fairly... Uh, one color, almost no pattern all the way down, and you find them anywhere in between. Uh, have you ever found some, Billy? Decays, no. Oh. Um, I I only find, if I do find anything, it's usually ringnecks or uh, yeah. pinewood snakes. Uh, black racers, obviously, those things are everywhere. Yeah, I don't know. If, uh, y'all don't it's have, usually those three. Y'all don't have decays that far south, do you? I don't think so. No, we have garter snakes. I, I don't think we have decays. Yeah, decays are like a lot of people. I find them uh, in water mains. You lift the lid off of water main; it's dark, it's wet in there because it has lots of worms and snails. And you can usually find a decay snake living down in there. Um, they're little live-bearing snakes. They'd be a really cool pet snake. You just gotta take the time with the fact that they're gonna eat worms, and you gotta be careful. And they're very, very small. But seeing somebody yeah, the, with a uh, video is cool. Yeah, the video did a really good job of. Uh, really putting in perspective how small they were because she had three of them there and there was a oyster so shell for the hide yeah and all three of them could have curled up and got underneath that shell and there was room for another three. Oh, you, yeah you could have fit three adults underneath that shell i mean they're they're so yeah. small um and if you've ever caught ring necks they're very similar in size to a ring neck um just but like I said, it's it's the the variability you can find just locally. It's not it's not like the variability between here and April's house, you know, two states away. It's between my front yard and backyard. Um, but you see them a lot this time of year. If you're on snake identification groups in the east and southeast, you'll see a lot of what is this, what is this, and and ninety percent of the time it's a decay snake, a decay's brown snake is what they're called. Um, but I, I think it's cool to see someone. Like we talked about earlier, you know, with your Maclots and with Dunn's Pythons, but just doing a non, what we call normal or common pet snake as a pet. 
and that's a pretty cool one. One that tends to get overlooked just because it is so small and so common as far as in nature. Um, I think also we tend to overlook North American snakes in general. You know, a lot of us yeah. want to go, oh, that one's exotic because it's in Australia. It's in Brazil. It's in Africa. But there's some really cool stuff here. Um, it just, it's it's going to be different. You know, a lot of our stuff eats a lot and shits a lot. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's how our snakes are in the United States. You know, we we get spoiled with things like carpet pythons and boas and bloods, you know, eating one meal every two weeks and pooping one time from that meal. And so. Or one time uh, or, a month. Or one time. <laughs> yeah. And that's really if you like, have a, a short tail on a regular schedule. <laughs> like, I really like uh, Pituophis a lot. Oh, yeah. But, you know, with all the other stuff I have, it's just, you know, it's always on the back burner pretty much. Because, like you said, like, as a hobby, we just gravitate more towards exotic stuff than you know, stuff we can find here. Yeah, I've, I've got my Louisiana pine, and I, I love that thing. I think it's an awesome snake. But, I mean, they do they do poop more than, like, if you're someone who's into ball pythons or boas or whatever, it's going to poop a lot more than those snakes. And it's... Just it's, you know, corn snakes do the same thing too. Though corn snakes poop a lot too, but you know, I think there's other snakes. What has always surprised yeah, me is rubber boas. Rubber boas are in the United States, and you can't find them anywhere. But they're such a cool little snake, and it's so anybody that breeds them already has them sold before they're ever born. Uh, which is a shame. Like more people need to have them, and I've never seen one person, unfortunately. They're such a cool, for someone like me who likes, you know, little worm snakes, they're a cool little worm snake. So, anywho, that was my, my, my video from Emily, just cause it was, it wasn't feeding. She has the garter snakes and all, and you see those garter snakes a lot, but you just don't see decay snakes. And then, I'm just impressed with all the different food items that they have to get for all the different species that they have. That's that's really impressive. Don't they, they have, have much more patience? Don't I. they have egg-eating snakes? Yeah. Yeah, but they, yeah. well, they're also building that zoo. But even when once that that little reptile zoo they're building is done, you're right. the The variety of what they're going to have to have on in their place for food is crazy. I mean, because you got the worm-eating stuff, you got egg-eating stuff, you've got uh, all these little garter snakes who eat fish. They're, they've got the anaconda. They've got that blackhead. They got womas. They got boas. They got it's a lot of stuff. Which I, I've got to give them credit. That's I know my lim my limits, and my limits are uh, stuff that eats once a week, once every two weeks. <laughs> That's it. And eats rats. I need rats and mice. Yeah, I know what my limitations are, and I cannot do all that that they have going on. Um, speaking of limitations, that kind of goes into the next one. We've got two Dave Kaufman videos we want to talk about this week. I want to talk about one, and Billy had one. Uh, the first one that he put out this week was uh, Aki's in the Wild, uh, little Aki monitors. We kind of talked about it when we had Dave on the podcast, and he hinted at some of the stuff that he was going to have in that video. One of the most interesting parts I saw about that video is if you've watched any of Dave's uh, Are We Keeping Them Correctly videos, you know, he goes to different parts of the world. He shows you an animal someone keeps, pets, and then he shows you how they're kept, how they live in the wild. But the most interesting part with that one was he took a temperature and humidity reading in a, in a little hole in the ground where the Ackies were living. 
And I think it was like 100 degrees outside. And oddly enough, it was like 100 degrees inside the hole. Which I thought was crazy. Because normally we think, yeah, it's 100 outside, but it's 80 degrees in the hole where they spend most of their time. But it was super hot in the hole that the thing was living in also. Um, but the one, also one big thing there was, I think it was like 80% humidity in that hole as well, where it was just like 15% humidity where he was standing. Which is crazy, right? That's so interesting. That microclimate change from outside the hole to inside the hole is insane. And something I think people really need to pay attention to when setting up an Aki cage. You know, they're cool little lizards. Again, I know my limitations and monitors are not within my limitations. So I don't own any, but Aggies are cool little lizards. And I think a great cage with a burrow, that's a very humid hide type burrow with a very warm outside, that's fairly dry, will be a great setup. And that's what they're living in in the wild. That's what he showed you. That's what they're living in. It was super dry and hot there, but not in that hole. It was very, very humid. So Yeah, it definitely wasn't what you expected. No, I yeah, you know, it's For sure. like I said when he showed me the temperature on the inside, I was like, that's that doesn't seem right. <laughs> that's not what I've been taught. I've been yeah. taught that it's colder in the <laughs> underground, but it was hot, just extremely humid, which is just crazy. I mean, that's such a, a big change from fifteen percent humidity to eighty percent humidity. You know, I live in yeah, Louisiana, so, so it's always eighty percent humidity in Louisiana. You live in Tampa, it's the same thing. Oh yeah, <laughs> there's always some humidity here, but I mean. I get good sheds in. So. <laughs> I was watching. I just got Go I ahead. got blasted this week on uh, the short tail um, or the blood python Facebook page because I talked about how I was getting really crappy sheds and my humidity in my room is like it was been about 60 in the room and it drops sometimes and it rains and it goes, you know, higher. But um, my sheds are just so freaking crappy, even with how ridiculously humid it is in Memphis. Well, it's funny. I, was I, watching, I got work on that. I was watching a video last night from, uh, is it Always Evolving? Uh, is it Always Evolving Reptiles or Pythons? I can't remember which one. Anyways. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Everyone knows what I'm talking about because he's, yeah. he's all over YouTube. But he was visiting Lone Star Reptiles and they were doing a, they were showing, uh, the reason I watched it is because it was a reptile room video. And they showed the reptile room video at Lone Star Reptiles, and he had to put a dehumidifier. He he rubberized the the walls. It's got like white uh, rhino lining all over the walls. It's a rubber floor. Let's lift it off the ground. And he said the place holds insane amount of humidity that he has to have a dehumidifier inside his room. Uh, but he gets great sheds. Keeps all of the snakes on paper towel because he has no humidity issues in the tubs. I was like, that's that's not a bad issue to have. <laughs> What does he yeah, keep? For real. It's all ball pythons. Well, that's all. It was mostly ball pythons. I think he said he had retics in there and stuff. But um, okay. but he was collecting like I forget how much he said, but it was a lot of water out of that dehumidifier every day, just su- trying to suck water. And apparently, from wherever the guy where Lone Star Reptiles had had their snakes before, he had three humidifiers running in that room to just try and put humidity in there. But at this new place, it's got a dehumidifier. I was like, man, a lot of people would kill to have that problem. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think about the folks yeah. that live up north that have to run heat during the winter that talk about having no humidity. I'm like, man, that's got to suck. So Yeah, I definitely take it for granted. That's why I tell people, like, with the green trees and then um, you know, me not having any issues with them, I really just 
set them and forget them pretty much. And I think we just have the perfect climate here for them. You know, I just set them up in my snake room. I don't even run heat on them or anything, and it's they're perfect. You don't run heat? Yeah. So your room, you keep your room a certain temperature, right? Yeah. Yeah, it goes between – I mean, it fluctuates. It's still room, but uh, usually around 78 to 82. See, and I, I don't uh, ambient temp my room on purpose. But my room sits around 80 degrees. With with all the heat sources in my rack cages on, the room sits at like 80 degrees. So, yeah, that makes sense. I'm hoping, though, I'm, I'm hoping to move and get a bigger room, and that way I can get more of a, also a temperature gradient, like my cages and stuff, too, just because it's so warm in here. But I'm also, I, I'm fat and I sweat a lot. I just want it to be colder. <laughs> and then you yeah, had a Dave, that time. <laughs> you had a Dave Kaufman <laughs> video that you want to talk about. Yeah, so I uh, so I haven't watched a lot of his stuff. I hate saying that, but uh, when I went to watch the Aki video, I found a cave dwelling rat snake video, uh, which I have a pair of those. So naturally, I want to watch it because it's the whole cave dwelling rat snakes. Are we keeping correctly? You know all that stuff. So he goes to Thailand and uh, ends up in a limestone cave where they're from. Uh, that's where these snakes originate from. Uh, I read, I remember reading this in, uh, the old world rat snake book from, uh, Klaus. I don't know if you guys are familiar with, with that book or not. Uh, but they had a big write up on Ridley eye and pretty much, you know, I, was, I wanted to reference both of those and see, you know, how much was the same and all that. And everything was spot on. These animals are in complete darkness the whole time. Uh, they're almost always perched up uh, on the rocks and stuff in the caves. Uh, they're eating bats. Uh, the thing, like you were saying with the Ackies, he brought the temperature gauge and uh, humidity gauge out. And it was 78 degrees. Yeah. And around, I want to say 70, 80% humidity. Don't quote me on that. But it never changes. It's always the same temperature. Like there's almost no fluctuation. Uh, so it's just really interesting, and it makes you think, you know, are we keeping them correctly? Uh, he was saying that they're a good species for rack systems, which that's how I've raised mine. So far, I plan on moving them to cages and, you know, maybe trying to give them more uh, perching opportunities, you know, like they would get in a cave or whatever. Um, I think something like, really- uh, have you seen what Cox does with the coffee can? He he has a, uh, a, a coffee can hanging as a perch, like so the the snake can climb into the coffee can and like hide in like that little cubby, but it's hanging up above in the cage. I felt something yeah, like that would yeah, be yeah. awesome for those guys if you did a cage, but it gives them a little nook, a little cranny. Because I know in that video, one of the ones he found was in this just little hole up in a rock, just wedged up in there. Yeah, yeah, I think it was the one he took out. Yeah, it was close yep. close to the ground, but um. Yeah, elevated hides. I do think that's something that uh, gets overlooked a lot. Like I'm, I'm starting to get into uh, more arboreal colubrids and stuff as well because we always have to get something else. <laughs> you know how that goes, and uh, that's something that I think I definitely want to put to use more in my caging. Uh, just because, like, we have these arboreal snakes, we think they just hang out on perches, but they also feel secure being 
in a hide situation up high off the ground. So anything or any information you can get from, you know, the video, paper, book, or whatever to try to make however you're keeping your animals better is always a good thing. So I thought the video was really good for that because it shows you, I mean, it doesn't get better than going to the actual place, seeing footage in the cave with the rat or with the bats and all that and seeing how they're living and where they are. And well, that. and the cool thing that he, that he also had was not only was he there in the cave where they live and that, but it was with who he was with. He was with Dan Maleri, who has also bred those in captivity. Yes. And, and so he's, he's seeing both sides of it and able to put together all that information into what would work. You know, Dan talked about, and it made sense, you know, so many people in this hobby, whatever they breed, work on dropping the temperatures and then bringing them back up and then breeding your snakes. And, and they talked about, it. and you said, you know, with that cave, it stays the same temperature all year long. There's, there's no reason to drop temps on a snake that never drops temps. Yeah, absolutely. And what I thought was really interesting is that Dave had problems breathing in there because of all of the, the oh, yeah. bat fecal matter. The ammonia. Yeah. And and so I feel like those snakes have to have, you know, a different adaptation to be able to handle that. Well, just That's what about, I, you know, thought of. Just think about it. Billy owns those. He keeps them in a rack. When they shit in that tub, what's Billy do? He cleans the tub because we're like, we've got to keep our snakes clean. Those things live in a cave full of bat shit that you can barely <laughs> breathe in, and they're doing great. Yeah, they're doing just fine. They're wonderful. <laughs> yeah, well, not that we're advocating not gonna, for not no, cleaning no, out. No, I'm not, yeah, yeah. not going to say don't do that. <laughs> don't, don't, I'm not saying don't clean your cage. I'm just thinking it's funny. is in, in, in our hobby, we're so much about keeping things sterile and clean uh, that I think sometimes we over or we underestimate how sometimes we just need to kind of leave a cage. I think some of these bioactive setups for certain things work out because they, they cause the keeper to leave the cage alone more. Um, and that was just yeah, weird. I, I mean, that. that you've got to imagine his lungs were burning when he came out of that cave. Those snakes breathe in there all the time with no problem. Well, it makes you wonder too, like if they, if those snakes have like hypoxic drive instead of a oxygen drive when they breathe or something, if they've adapted to those conditions, yeah, you know, like uh, like a smoker would, where they have a hypoxic drive instead of wanting oxygen, they're looking for carbon monoxide or dioxide. You know, I, that was my thought. I was like, man, are these snakes actually engineered more to be in? Obviously, they are in those types of situations. I mean, we're not going to put them in that in captivity, but it's just something interesting to think about. Well, yep. and, like, and like Dan said, with the whole breeding them, he food cycles them versus temperature because there's no temperature cycle. So, you know, it's basically a seasonal thing in the wild for some of these snakes that live along the tropics uh, that are in certain parts of the year. Prey items are far more common. And so animals eat a lot and then they breed. And like, and so that's what Dan was talking about when he breeds his. He just brings the food levels up and breeds them and then brings the food levels down. Because light cycling isn't going to work yeah, on them either. It's pitch black in there. Light does not work for those guys. So well, I, I plan on I plan on breeding mine or pairing them up next year, and that was already my idea going into it was trying some type of food cycling, and then after seeing that video, that pretty much solidified that's going to be my game plan to try to be successful with them. Which is funny yeah, because it's be cool. it's so different from how really how your other snakes breed though. So you've got to keep that in mind. And in keeping them, how you keep them, and yeah. and long term, how you're going to feed and breed them, because they're, yeah, you know, I think so many times in our hobby we try to cookie cutter 
snake care. You know, oh, this yeah. is how you take care of a snake. The problem is snakes are found around the world and a million different habitats. They don't all take the same care. So, oh, yeah, for sure. And I, I definitely give them more uh, like bird type of prey items. Like, obviously, I can't give them bats. That, you know, that's not feasible. But, you know, just to switch it up a little bit, because we keep these snakes and we expect them to be on white European mice or rats or whatever. And that's not, you know, what they're engineered for. Most of them. So that's a whole nother topic. That is a whole nother topic, but it's, it's, I mean, it's a good one, but yeah, it's, you know, it's funny. April keeps bloods and I've heard Matt say it and I've heard April say it. They are a species that does very well shoved in a cramped space. Uh, they, mm-hmm. they, they like to be able to feel all the sides of their tub. They are best suited for that. That's how they live. But then you also look at how people keep retics, kind of basically in the same thing. But that's not how retics live, you know. Yeah. In the wild, that they... came up as a suggested video. I'm going to watch that next <laughs> for oh, <really>? days. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, this will be good. <laughs> Sorry. That, that is a good video. I've seen it. Um, but you know, we keep retics. I say we. I don't. But people keep retics in an eight foot cage, and you're talking a. 15 16 foot retic in an eight foot cage it's it's not right it's definitely not right is, is it possible and can you have success with that yes but i think that we're trying to fit that snake into our cookie cutter thing i mean that we definitely know retics are far more active than most of our lar- other large constrictors you know we we know oh, yeah. that they climb we know that they travel long distances and so i think that's that's one thing you're starting to see in this hobby. You're starting to see people uh, realize that we've got to change it up. Um, that you know, that's why I don't keep I don't keep certain things because I can't keep it the way it wants to be kept. I keep samboas because they do great in a rack system. They live under the ground most of their life. They're fine and they're small and they work great. But you know, retics have got honestly, if you've got a full grown female retic, you, it almost needs a room. Yeah. You know? Yeah. To do it yeah, well. You're not, you're a not room lying. that has a tree trunk and something to climb. Yeah. Because if you give it a giant tree with a giant branch, at some point your 12 or 13 foot retic will perch. Mm-hmm. Which I think would be awesome. Can you imagine like walking into that enclosure and he's pissed off and he's just taking <laughs> shots at you from the branch? <laughs> at, face, <laughs> at face level. Uh, but just think about it. And, and honestly, it wouldn't be that hard for people to do. I think, you know, maybe 10 foot long, four foot deep and make it as tall as whatever room you're in. You know, basically put it on a wall, close it in, give it big doors, glass doors and put a giant branch or giant trunk in there. And I think if you're someone who really likes retics, you will enjoy that animal so much more if you could walk in every day and see it being a retic. Yeah, exactly. That's why I really want to get a green anaconda again, but... I would want to do a setup like Brian Barcheck has, and I know that's absolutely yes. not feasible for me right now. So Anaconda is off the list for now. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we try to make retics be ball pythons, but they're not ball pythons. <laughs> and so, yeah, I love going to zoos and seeing zoos that have those giant, uh, giant cages for snakes, for big snakes. You know, and yes, when, oh, yeah. when you go through, yes, a lot of the time you will see it just coiled up laying in a corner. But what you're not seeing is at night when no one's there and it's out on the prowl. Um, 
I don't know if y'all saw Brian Barczyk's video where his retic got out in the shop. It was a few weeks back. Uh, but they have cameras in their shop. And that thing went all over the damn shop that night That's when it so got funny. out. That's <laughs> funny. So, Just cruising. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it went up and down all over. So, I mean, they move. They definitely move. You know, it, and it's different because, like, if a Samboa gets out, I can usually find a Samboa. It's not going that far. If someone has a ball python that gets out, it's usually not going that far. But I can't imagine, like, you know, big rat snakes or retics. If they get out, if they've got the space, they're going to go. Well, if you look up, like, stuff, studies on retics and when they've studied them in the wild and stuff, like, scientific papers and all that, like, all that information's there. You know, it's not, oh, we found them curled up in a den, you know, and we found 90% of them that way. You know, they always find them out or perching or being active in some way. Yeah. You know, so it does come into certain people. There are plenty of people... I want to tread lightly because I don't want people to think, you know, like saying everybody that has retics are doing it wrong because I don't keep them. So I'm not going to tell you how to keep them, but, uh, you know, just do your research and give them the best you can. You may not keep them, but we've heard enough people that keep them properly to know how they really probably should be kept. Exactly. You know, and, and, and it's like you watch that video with those cave snakes. You now know, I mean, they are not your typical – I mean, they look a lot like a, a rat snake. They're not your typical rat snake, though. They're not going to travel long distances. You know, that, that cave snake that Dave picked off that rock has probably never left that cave. You yeah, know? he probably sticks his head out, and the bats, you know, fly by, nabs him one every now and then, and he's good to go. So that was a cool – like I said, that, that was a cool video. I just – I've never been in a cave like that, but I've seen many National Geographic and stuff where they go into those bat caves. You have to wear respirators sometimes, and I just I can't imagine the smell in that place. Oh yeah, I gosh, thought they were no. going to mask up. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah, I was expecting them to mask up when they were going in, and then he was like, oh, there's all the rat or the bat droppings and stuff. And then when they didn't, I was like, oh, okay. And then he started talking about you know his lungs burning and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, ammonia will do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, big time. Um, all right, so those were our Dave Coffin videos. I'm sure I'll have another one next week because I think he still has some. He did have an Australian one come out uh, yesterday, the day before. There's one with him, uh, Kenan from Camp Kenan, and Cusco, and they were like getting some venomous snakes and stuff like that, which was a cool video. Uh, but I definitely recommend. I've I've had Dave on here. I definitely recommend anybody that hasn't watched Dave Coffin videos go watch them. Even if you're like the like like Billy who doesn't watch a lot of YouTube. I'd still recommend like going through and look look up some of his stuff because unlike many people, Dave actually goes to where these things live. You know, he's going to show you what it's like there. He's not going to show you what it's like opening, you know, fifteen tubs of the same snake. That's that's not it. So yeah, you can even yeah. just you know find the species you keep and see if he has videos on those specifically, yeah. and maybe learn something new and be I'm, able to tweak your keeping a little bit. I mean, he's done something I like. He's done uh, Brazilian rainbow boas. He did Eurymastics. Um, and it's just very cool. We're so far removed from where our animals actually come from. Mm-hmm. It's yep. cool to see where they come from. Um, especially like an, an oddball species like the cave-dwelling snakes. You know, that's that's really an oddball, oddball species. It's not it's not like the retic. He does one on the retic. That's a far more common species. But to see him do one on a cave-dwelling snake. And to get there, I mean, it wasn't an easy, easy trip to get to it. Also, um, oh no, not at all. He had to climb a mountain to get to the cave. No, I probably it was an expedition. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so the next one I do want to talk about. We kind of hit on it earlier. 
was the Jason's Exotics Reptiles. We've talked about some of his stuff before, but this one I really liked, especially having the two of you on here. Uh, I feel like the three of us are kind of kind of in the same area of the hobby at, at this point in our lives. We're both, or all three of us are kind of early on in the breeding part of the hobby and the actual selling part and the and the starting of a business. And I don't think... I don't think either of y'all, I know that I don't have expectations of becoming a snake breeder by profession. Um, I, I simply do it because it's fun and I can buy some rats and mice and some new snakes if I do it. Um, I won't mind if it's the only thing that I do, but I don't think I would necessarily scale it to where it'd be like added income while I'm, you know, doing the household type stuff kind yeah. of thing. But you know, I don't want to scale it so big that because I, I feel like I would the passion of keeping. I don't. You don't I want it to become passion, a job. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't want to dread going in my snake room. You know, because yeah. I've had I, times like that before, and that's not fun. <laughs> I never want to like look at my animals and be like, pretty much hate it and be like, I don't want to do this. Like this isn't fun anymore. Exactly. Yeah, that's I'm, always been my goal. I'm yeah. not at the point where I sit down and go, all right, well, this many rats cost this much. I need to produce this many of this to be able to – like that. that's too much. Like, that's not fun for me. And I get some people are great at that part, especially if you're running it as a business. You need to know how much money you put in, and we'll talk more on that, but you put in and get out. But that's not where I want to be, and I know that's not where any either any of us are at right now. We're all – like I said, we're all – I think, Billy, you've been keeping snakes about as long as I have, but you really haven't been breeding snakes uh, that long. And I haven't truly been breeding them to kind of do shows and kind of make a business out of it until recently, like you. Um, yeah. Well, I, I kept snakes for 10 years before I I even thought of breeding and trying it and stuff. Like, I wanted to get the husbandry part down and make sure it was something that I really wanted to pursue, you know, because... I think a lot of people, they get into the hobby with the first expectation of breeding, you know, and it's not, oh, yeah. let me pick a species, nail it down to where when you are the breeder of that species, you can be the, you know, the person people go to because they know that you have the experience behind you. Well, there's, there's two, there's two types of people that get into the hobby that I think are doing it wrong. There's many different types of people that get in the hobby. But there's two that I think are doing it wrong. There's the one that gets in and then buys everything they can right away not not every like of that species debris but like they're the one that are, is watching craigslist and they're and they're taking everything if someone has something to give for free and they're going and they've got 15 different species and they've only been keeping for six months so they're, i have a i have a quick quick story okay about something like that so i'm vending the lakeland expo here and uh this kid comes up to me and without even breaking stride he's like do you have a pastel ball python? Like, he doesn't even look at my table. Damn. And I'm like, no ball pythons guy. Like, I don't know what to tell you. And uh, he's like, oh, well, we need to find a female because we need to breed this one. So I'm like, well, why is that? Like, tell me about it. Let's hear it. You know, why do you have to breed the one you have? He's like, well, it was a rescue we just brought in two months ago. Oh, and, of course. You know, now we need to find a, a breeder size female. For, I'm like, dude, you don't have to breed it. I'm like, that's there's no rush. Like you don't have to do that. And kind of like, you know, stormed off and wasn't happy because I wasn't telling him what he wanted to hear. But, you know, like just that mentality of, Oh, I got this rescue, which, you know, whatever that means. And then, Oh, I have to go to the show, find a 
breeder size female and produce more of them after I just took one out of a situation that, you know, it couldn't be cared for. Well, see, and it's a funny thing. And, and, and I'm sure that kid looks at you like, whatever, because he's seeing you set up at a show with a table full of snakes, you bred and selling them. And in his head, he wants to be there. But he doesn't understand what you've done prior to being there and what you went through I, prior to being there. I definitely have a lot more of a, an appreciation for breeders and vendors and stuff like that. Like if I see animals at a show, if I see something online, like I definitely see the other side of it now to where, you know, there's certain things I, I won't do as a customer now to, you know, just because I know the other side of it, I won't, you know, do things that some people do. Yes. If that makes sense. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And so, so there's, so there's like that person, the person that gets everything and in six months they have everything and then they're out of the hobby in three more months. You know, they're, they're out. They just it got to be a pain. Yeah. Then there is the one, the investment person who goes out. They've never owned any reptiles, really. They may have owned one snake when they were 12. Uh, and within six months, they now own two racks full of ball pythons. They've never kept a ball python. They've never bred a ball python. They've never done anything with but they went out and they bought two racks full of them and then they're out of the hobby in a year also because they and didn't they didn't make all their money back from all those ball pythons just to note it's not only ball pythons. no it's not it's not yes people do it with every species yeah. it's, just, it's, it's just it's the most common yeah yeah carpets are the most common or uh balls are the most common so it's you know it's easy yeah, to use that as a an example when I first got short tails, I dropped a good amount of money to get jeans that I wanted. And, you know, I had people talking behind my back about that, too. Still to this day, don't know who it was because I don't know what the forum screen name was. But I went into a forum and looked at some old stuff and was just kind of going through. And I, I found them talking shit about me. I was like, what? Well, I think it's different, too, if, like, you have some keeping background behind you already. Yes. And you do that. But if yeah. you just come in as a complete novice and, you know, you've only, like James was saying, you only had a, a snake when you were a kid years ago, you know, maybe pump the brakes a little bit. See if this is something you actually want to do. You know, get a pair or a trio or whatever and see if you want to actually keep up with keeping them clean and feeding them and doing all that before you, you know, go and buy 50 of them. Well, and I think social media and YouTube lends itself to causing people to think that way too, because they they see those reptile room videos where they have a wall full of racks, each drawer full of snakes, and this person must have a bunch of money because they did that. So I'm going to go out and do that, but they don't see that person having to spend three hours in there every day cleaning, changing water. They don't see that person having to to try and peddle snakes over. I mean, you go to a show and you see this table full of ball pythons, you didn't see the. 120 normal ones that they wholesaled off before they got there. Yeah. 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 So I, I came to terms with it a long time ago that I'm probably never going to break even on all the stuff I've gotten out. Of so there's no expectations to make it big or anything like that. It's yeah. just something I enjoy to do. And when you're keeping reading is just the next step, you know, it's, after you've kept for a while, most people, you know, like you said, you go to these shows, you're seeing all these videos, it's in your face all the time if you're, you know, involved in the hobby at all. Of course, everybody wants to do it. Well, and it's it's a hobby. I think that people understand 
yes, the three of us have quote unquote a business. We have a name, we have banners, we have stickers, we have all we have a business. In the uh, next couple of months, I'll even have an LLC. I'll be official. Oh, you'll be an actual business. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Fancy. Uh but at the same time, it's it's a it's really a hobby. And like you said, you've come to terms with never breaking even. You don't break even in a hobby. You try to break even and do better in a business, a true business, where you're again calculating in and out what you pay and all that. But this is a hobby. Like you go to a reptile show and see something you like and you buy it because you like it. That's a hobby decision. That's not a business decision. And I think that's okay. Yeah. People need to understand it's okay to be a hobbyist that makes some money off of their hobby. You don't yeah, have absolutely. you don't have to make millions and be the next uh, Justin Kabilka. So, but good luck trying to fill those shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that guy's killing it. So the video I was referencing with, on Jason Exotics was starting a reptile breeding business and how to be successful. And we kind of hit on some of the things, but I, I liked that video um because it hit, I mean he really spoke the truth there. It's it's not what people want to hear. You know, Everybody wants to hear that if I go out and buy all these snakes, I'm going to make, t- you know, if I go out and buy a $5,000 snake, I'm going to make $50,000. That's, that's, that's not exactly how that works. Yeah. One thing I really like that he pointed out is that, you know, you buy this, oh, I'm just throwing out numbers here. You buy this $10,000 snake and then you get it to breed and then you think you have $10,000 babies. But you end up having, you know, selling one and having nine holdbacks of these $10,000 babies because really if there's not a buyer, then you don't have a snake that's worth that much. You have a snake that's worth what someone will actually pay for. Or or even worse, you bought a $10,000 snake and yes, in 2016, it was $10,000. In 2019, when you bred it, it's worth $500 because everybody bought the $10,000 snake and they bred a shit ton of them. Yeah. I mean, and that, that that's how the market works. Well, that's why, you know, and he talks about in there, really, um, if you want long-term, if somebody's really wanting a long-term business plan with snakes and breeding and and you're not breeding like bolins or something that's super rare, uh, then recessive gene traits are the way to go. And not just recessive gene traits. Good-looking, line-bred, take-your-time-to-find-the-right-one recessive gene traits are the way to go. Um, well, even when I was um, at Eugene's place, he was talking that, you know, you have to have the albinos. Those are what are going to keep the lights on for you if you're going to do it as a business. You have to have the albinos. Um, and I, I took that to heart, and I'm like, all right, really, every single year, you know, I'm – you know, I want to be known as the T-negative person, so I really, every year, have to have those albinos, and that's going to be the thing that, you know, they're not the crazy $3,000, $1,000, whatever. They're not the crazy high expensive ones, but they're what people want because they look pretty, and they are a decent average price, mostly, um, because, you know, everyone, that's the kind of the first gene that people start working with when uh, a species comes into the hobby. So... I, I'm going off on a tangent and like losing my full train of thought here. But if you if you have you know if you have the um, the albino specifically, that's really what's going to keep the lights on in your shop. If you're doing it for um, a business purpose and not so much the hobby side of it. So yeah. Well, to to piggyback on on what was said earlier, like okay, you decide you want to get a breeding project or whatever. 
even if it's a morph project, I think, and maybe I pay more attention to it just because of how carpets are naturally uh, and how variable they can be. But if you're going to get into something, you know, project-wise, every animal that you select for that needs to bring something to the table. Like you, Even if it's just an albino project, you know, albino darlings, if you're going to outcross or whatever, like make sure that you're breeding quality animals. Don't just say, oh, I need a Darwin, and you go get the first Darwin or maybe Darwin that you see. You know, get get quality animals so you have good stock to start with. So when you show people lineage and all that, they're like, oh, okay, this guy took the time to get really nice animals. He's going to put out nice animals. Yeah, I, quality is a big issue. Like the, the kid that walked past you and didn't break stride asking if you had a female pastel, he probably – one, didn't care what it looked like. He just needed one. And the one he got as a rescue may have looked like shit. But he doesn't care. And and, and that's a problem I see a lot. Um, especially with like the well, let's talk about albino. And I've said this before. Albino is a great gene at hiding ugly. Uh in many that snakes is so true. albino can hide an ugly looking snake and, and don't get me wrong just because i say a snake is ugly doesn't mean i don't love that species and i wouldn't like that snake because I, I, there's tons of boas where i've been like that's an ugly boa to me it's not what i want it to look like it's an ugly boa but it's still an awesome snake but albino does a great job at hiding up all that freckling and some of that darker pattern that you would normally have uh so that's one of those things where, like if you are truly wanting to do this uh, and I feel dirty saying as a business, but as a business, which is not even as a business, if you are truly wanting to breed at all, ask the person, if you're buying an albino, whatever, ask to see the parents, just get a glimpse at the parents. I mean, if the parent, if one of them is a het parent and they're a normal, but they're really clean, that gives you an idea of what future projects are kind of hidden inside that one you're buying. You know, if I produce non-albino animals, but I'll still have clean, good looking animals. Um, I don't think enough people, and it's getting better, but I don't think enough people think about that. They don't think about um, the base animal, you know, because you're going to produce base animals here or there and whatever you breed. And there's nothing wrong with that, but try to make them at least look good. Like, have a good looking whatever it is, even if it's not yeah. the albino version or the pastel version or whatever. So, That's like my goal that my hats are just as beautiful as the visuals. Well, yeah, I mean, Billy, Billy has some awesome looking import, uh, I'm, I feel dirty saying Poplin pythons, but IJs. Uh, <laughs> IJs is fine. <laughs> I, they're IJs to me. But those are base, no morph, no nothing, amazing oranges and yellows. They're going to produce, most likely, or give you a better chance of producing, really good looking normal IJs. What we would label as a normal IJ, even though it's really not, I mean, it's, it's not that that brown carpet python we think of when we think of IJs from 10, 15 years ago. Um, but that he, he picked, I'm assuming you picked that one. You saw the imports and you picked it. You didn't just say, send me a random import, right? You want to be completely honest? You did. You said, send me a random, <laughs> and then you got rid of the ugly ones. So I, uh, I randomly reached out to Dan Maliri and, um, I don't know if you remember this or not, if you guys follow Steven Katz. He had this amazing import that I think his brother got for him or something and said it came from Dan Maliri. I was still pretty new to Facebook at the time, and I just reached out to him. I was like, hey, do you have any carpets? 
and it was just the right place, right time. And he's like, yeah. So I ended up getting a, a group of 10 of them. And Dan works with so many animals. He's not going to give you, you know, pictures of every single one. Yeah. So I was like, all right, you know, like I trust this guy. Let's see what happens. If anything, it's new blood. And the group he sent me, like, especially that one male that I have is, I think I held back probably eight of them. Wow. Um, and every single one of them brings something to the table that is, in my opinion, above average of what, you know, everybody thinks is a normal IJ. Uh, so I definitely got lucky <laughs> as See, far as that group. But there's I, one know. thing you did there was, and, and by, I guess, kind of by accident, you went to the right person. Yeah, and we've talked about it before, just because Dan Maleri has such a name in the hobby, and and I've wanted to talk about it with you on here at some point whenever I got you on, and I've mentioned on other podcasts that the word import, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago was a very dirty word. Uh, it's an import. You don't want it. It's going to be gross. It's going to be nasty, and a lot of people would stay away from imports, but when you talk about Dan Maleri, he's doing it the right way. And that's why you held back eight of those 10 snakes because he didn't import shit animals, you know? No, no, not at all. And the other thing when, so those aren't the only imported animals that I have in my collection. I, I'm not scared to bring in imported stuff, wild cost stuff, whatever, as long as it's from a good source and everything's done right. And I prefer, which that group, and I've gotten animals from him since then, uh, they were still brick red babies. Like these things were, I'm pretty sure some of them had their first meal with me. Oh, wow. It was just the from the farm over in Indo, they hatched, they packed them up, sent them over. I just happened to call them at the right time, you know, just stars aligned, and they ended up here. So as far as them being out in the wild and, all, like they weren't plucked. Yeah. If that makes sense, you know? So it's, yeah, they're import, they're foreign bred, whatever you want to call them, but it's still new blood coming in. It's still, you know, and I personally feel better when it's a younger animal. So I usually try to get younger animals because they're easier to acclimate than a full grown adult that's spent who knows how many years out in the wild fending for itself. And now it's in a cage, you know? Well, and like I said that you picked, Yes, he sent you 10, and you got an amazing lot of 10, and you kept 8. But you actually – you looked at them. You you have a plan for them. You did not just go, all right, I got 10 IJs. Let's grow them up and just breed as many IJs as I can breed. Here we go. Which I feel oh, no, not is, at all. is how so many people go with snakes now. Like, <laughs> Look, if you're a ball python person, if you like pastels – then yes, breed pastels, breed whatever you want. But if you are just breeding them because you have them, understand this: everyone fucking has them. There's you've got. How are you going to stick out if you're just breeding an average to crappy looking pastel ball python? And they're like, I'm going to get a table and I'm going to sell them at a show. Really? Because there's going to be twenty other tables with the same thing, and many of those people took their time and picked the right animals. And their stuff, even though it's got this technically the same gene as your animal, is going to look a million times better. And to me, as far as starting a business, if you're starting a business, no matter whether it's reptiles or sporting goods supplies, whatever the hell it is, you're going to want high quality product. 
don't start off with shitty stuff. And I think too many people just go to Craigslist and take whatever's free and then breed it and go, I'm going to make a bunch of money. Well, I've, I've seen this a lot with, uh, with carpets, people, they find out about carpets. It's usually after they've had one of the more token beginner species and they just get the first one they see because they read about them, they get excited and they end up getting some type of either cross or undocumented, whatever. And there's nothing wrong with those animals. I have, you know, some here. It's, that's just, it is what it is with carpets, but they get that animal and then they get, okay, it's a male. So now I have to get a female. They get the first female that they find because they're just so excited about getting into them and possibly breeding them and all that. Then it gets time to breed them. And now it's like, okay, what, you know, what do you guys think these are going to produce? What are they going to this? What are they going to that? It's like, oh, they're just all mutts. Nobody's going to want them. And it's like, oh, you wasted all that time raising these animals, and now people are being honest with you. And you didn't do the due diligence of getting the right stock, like you're saying. You know, do it the right way. Get quality animals to start with, and then you don't have to worry about that. Well, I mean, it's, you know, yes, you can get a 5000 or $10,000 animal. All right, say I, I, I stick to ball pythons just because it's so relatable to everybody else, and it's hard to – but. Mm-hmm. Say you buy a $10,000 whatever, because I don't know, but from Justin Kabilka. You buy it from him. You raise it up. You read it. Say there's still – he's still getting $10,000 for those snakes once you produce your babies that look just like him. Don't expect to get the same $10,000 Justin, Justin Kabilka got for that snake because you're not him. And so there's also a name you have to build up in this hobby. Uh, the, reputation is everything. Everything. You, the minute you Absolutely ruin your name everything. in this hobby, you are screwed. Uh, we all have people that we will never buy from, never deal with because yep. of that reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, Every single person does. Yeah. And don't like, people. I think people get up when they when they walk by one of those tables. Like if you walk by Tinley and you see the stuff that he has for sale on his table, and you see the price tags, you think I can get the same price. Most likely not. I mean. It, You'll get a decent price, and maybe one day you could, but you haven't done the work they've done. You know, it's – I just – Yeah, it takes time. It, everybody wants instant gratification, and this hobby is no different from most things in life. That's just not how it works. Yeah, and so many people also take the cheap way out when, say, doing a show. Billy, you've been to shows. April, you've been to shows. You've been to one with me. You walk around a show, and you see the people that – took time to think out their display. They went out, they got a banner made, they got tablecloths made, they got, they did it all right. And then you see the person that just threw some deli cups on a table and you're not going to sell as well as the person that has the nice lights and all that. And you may think, well, my animals are just as good. It doesn't matter. There's window dressing that has to be done to go along with selling this stuff. Um, And so if you're going to do this as a business, those are business expenses you're going to have to do. You're going to have to get a banner, a tablecloth, lights. You're going to have to get a display. Um, and so that, those are costs. That's one, thing, that's one thing that when I decided I was going to do a show, my first show was Daytona in 2018. So that's like, a crazy right, first go show for the to big do. One. Yeah, that's- uh, yeah, I'm like, let's just do this because Daytona has always been nostalgic for me and everything. So I decided I was going to do that show. Well, I – just like you're saying, I'm like, if I'm going to be taken seriously, I want my display to look good. So I figured out what I wanted, 
and I had to get the displays too. And I, I had a nice display, but as time has gone on and, you know, I'm making money off of selling snakes, I'm putting it back into the display to where now I have the, you know, the tablecloth, the banner, the lights, you know, the, this, the, that I have a handful of people every show. They have no interest in carpets, but they will come up to me and compliment me on how my setup looks. So like, it looks really nice, professional, all that. Like even that is, you know, that someone that doesn't like those animals per se can appreciate the work you put into it. You know, that's awesome too. The guy that has all the deli cups out, nothing against that. If that's the niche you want to be in at the show, that's fine. But understand, you know, there's, you're not going to be in the same conversation as the guy with the nice setup that put thought into it. Yeah. And you're probably not going to get the same price for the same kind of snake. Like it's, it's just, if I walk around a show and say, I'm looking at spending 600 bucks on a Samboa and there's a Sambo and a deli cup on a table full of just random stuff that they obviously just got from whatever. Or there's one in a nice display by somebody that I know bred that one and I can talk to him about. It. I'm, I'm going to go to that guy and I'm going to talk to him. The setup, it's going to draw me there before I, I walk over to a table full of deli cups. It's and just, you feel better spending more because you know that breeder put the time in. Yeah. It's not, it didn't get passed around, you know, to different people before it got to the show. Like you have, you feel better about the purpose. And I know April's in the early stages of that. She's You're just starting to get kind of set up to start doing shows and breeding more so you have stuff for shows. Yes, yeah. And I finally got – I have all my displays. Uh, I need to get another light, I think. I got a custom-built display for my adult snakes because they are prettier as adults um, and more showier. So I want people to actually see that. Um, but I still have to do – like the banner, I haven't figured out how I want that to work, and I have to do the tablecloth thing. So there's still some things that I need to piece together. So I don't mind that we're not having shows only because <laughs> it gives me more time to figure that stuff out. No, and, and, yeah, not, and it's expensive too. Uh, like, don't think that that stuff isn't expensive. Yeah, it's it's definitely an expense. If you're wanting this as a business, yeah, it's going to be a big expense. I mean, my I dropped a lot before that first right, show. Yeah, yeah. My 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 displays I, yeah, cost between, 800, 800, 900 bucks. I think they're up to a thousand bucks. The guy that makes my display. I mean, it's not cheap. Oof. Yeah, I don't want to say what I spent on mine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and April. I wish my mine were that much. Yeah. A- April I seen my setup. <laughs> it's it, she did. It's I mean, it's not amazing. Trust me, there's other people that do way more. But I at least when you walk by, you understand that. I'm somewhat professional and that's, that's the, that's the feel I want to give. I don't want to, I don't want them to walk by and just realize, Oh, this guy just keeps snakes in a, in a room in his house. Like I want them to walk by and go, Oh, this guy really breathes and, and have to wonder what kind of breeder is this person? You know, um, it's just, well, too, you don't have to, you don't have to get it all at once. Like no. I just got the bare bones of what, cause I already knew what I wanted my end result to be you know, a year or two down the line. So I'm like, all right, well, what do I need right now? And that was what I went and got. I was happy with it. And then over the next year, year and a half, I, you know, piece by piece got everything else that I wanted to where I'm happy with how my display looks now. And most of the time, once you get everything, you don't really have to, you know, do it again. You know, if you, if you get good quality stuff. Yeah. It's a investment type of idea. 
I have a random yeah, for question sure. for you guys, and it's not super random. It is along the lines of breeding. But have you ever been lied to so someone would get the sale? What do you mean? Oh yeah. Like what? What was the circumstance that you remember? Uh, so I didn't buy it because I'm like, oh, this guy's a douche. But uh, <laughs> so I've been going to Daytona since 2002. I say that every chance I get. Um, it was around the time when albinos first hit the market. Yeah. Remember they were like 10, 15 grand oh, yeah. you know, for yeah. albino Darwins. So I'm sitting there looking at this table that has Jags. It's this older guy. Now, mind you, I'm still, I think I'm in high school or something. I'm a young, you know, young. So it was just that. The guy didn't take me seriously. didn't realize I had money in my pocket. But uh, I'm interested in one of the Jags. So I take it out. He's not talking to me at all. So I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll just, you know, look at the snake. I'll do it myself. And um, so I started asking him questions and he hits me with, uh, well, they're all head albino. And I'm like, for, I think they're like 150, 200 bucks, mm-hmm. you know? And I'm like, I'm like, are you sure about that? Cause I'm pretty sure that would make these like $7,500. And uh, he's like, no, they're all that. And then he started feeding me all these lines and, it basically was, you know, I'm like, I put the snake back and was like, screw you guy. Like you're obviously not taking me seriously. And I don't know, like if that's a, I don't know if it's fair for me to be upset with me being a kid and, you know, being in that situation. No, it's, but, it's fair. It's definitely yeah. fair. I mean, I've talked about before. My daughter was eight last year. We went to the Conroe show, uh, Conroe Herp show. And, uh, she bought her first snake. It was a corn snake. And the guy that sold it to her, I mean, he's awesome. He talked to her about the snake wanted to know what she wanted did not look at my wife did not look at me he was having a conversation with the person that wanted the snake and if you're going to do this as a business that is how it needs to be every time look you're going to have lots of people walk by and waste your time but the thing is that's what you're there for that that is why you're there i mean it's somewhere in there the person you think is wasting your time is going to show back up and buy a snake yeah you know yeah i've had that I've had both sides of it. <laughs> so, but that's like you said, that's why we're there. That's it's just part of the game. You got to do what you got to do. So, have you had someone lie to you, uh, April? I actually don't think so. Not that I'm aware of, or that actually resulted in a sale. I I, I haven't only because like I I don't know. At least not in recent history. In the last I don't know five years since I've really started to reinvest back into my collection, I've bought from pretty uh reliable breeders um i haven't i've done very good not to just like if i see something on morph morph market and randomly buy it i've you know i've done the research on who it is and i want it because not only does it have what i need but it's from someone i know i can trust and they're a name that everybody else knows um but that's funny that you've been going to daytona since 2002 billy because i started going into i went from 2005 to 2009 which means you were there the years i was also there so, yeah, little little snot nosed Billy running around. You were there when uh, when Reptilicus was still around with his Jags. Yeah, uh, yeah. was there with that? I you were there, there when the, the uh, were you that you were there when the first Golden Child retake nerd brought the first one down there, the first baby. Yeah, that was like two thousand seven or eight, somewhere in there. Yeah, I was there for that. I was there for the leopard gecko boom? Oh, uh, yeah. I think that was like the first year I went. It was. Tremper was like the, he was the guy, like you couldn't even see his table. It was just packed the whole time. 
Uh, I saw the first, well, not the, it was the first I saw. I don't think it was the first, but uh, Granite Carpet. I remember seeing that thing, and it just blew me away. This is before I was even in the snakes. And I was like, holy crap, that's a cool snake. Then I saw the price tag, and I'm like, well, there goes that. So that means you were still there in 2005, the last time they had the uh, the hot show, where you had to go outside and pay for the extra hot show? Yep, and when it was in the uh, like the stadium, it was before they did the renovation. Before the new place, yeah. To the conventions, yeah, where you could go up top and yeah, there was around the know, ring, like walk around. Pictures. There was tables in the lobby. Like yes. they, they didn't have enough room. There was like 600 tables. Yeah, the heyday. Yeah. yeah, that's why it's it's hard. Like when I talked to like Justin or Jake, I'm like y'all y'all just don't understand what it was. Like it was it was it was so much bigger. And I haven't been since '09, but I've heard what it is now. And I'm like. That's why when I like we went to Tinley this year, uh, this is my first time going to Tinley, but I've always heard Tinley is now the big show. And so when I walked in, it's nice. It's big. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's not a big show. I'm just saying it's not what I remember Daytona being. And so that's what I expected at Tinley. I expected Tinley to be as big as Daytona was in the mid 2000s. Um, it's so almost. I will say that I will say this. Tinley Tinley was awesome. I I decided like an hour. And I'm gonna to try to go every year. Like that was, it was incredible. As far as Daytona, like yeah, everybody says Daytona is not what it used to be, and it's not. Uh, part of that has to do with uh, the state and all yes. the new regulations and everything. Uh, but I, this year probably isn't gonna help it at all. But I've noticed the past probably four years that the show has steady started getting bigger and bigger every single year to where I wouldn't be surprised if another three, four years, if all this virus stuff blows over, I mean, it could hold a candle if it keeps going the way that it's going, which makes me excited because I love that show. Oh yeah. But, that was my first big show. Like I said, I went Oh five to Oh nine all, all those years. And, uh, it was a lot of fun. It, it would have been way different had I known people. Like now, like when I went to Tinley this year, Tinley was a blast for me this year, not because of the show, but because of Friday night when we hung out or Saturday night in the hotel room with Joe and, and Ryan. Like that was why that was such a fun show for me. It was like I got to hang out with people I know. Like, yeah, there's a lot of cool animals and I bought some cool stuff. But those big shows to me are, are way more about hanging out with each other. You know, watching watching Billy drink oh, so yeah, much got- that he just smiles. <laughs> that happens every now and then. <laughs> I think that's why I don't remember. I remember saying hey to April because Minnetola introduced me to you. And then I was like, oh, hey, how's it going? That's awesome. And then I don't remember what happened after that. I think I just walked away. Yeah, apparently I don't remember that conversation at all, and I was sober for it. So I think <laughs> I just I remember well, sitting at that bi- just shows how memorable I am. Yeah, I just remember oh. sitting at bananas with Billy, and Billy just like by that point Billy was just smiling and nodding to everything. <laughs> That's why at, at uh, Carpet yeah. Fest I was like, Billy's not that drunk. He's still talking. <laughs> we. We put it in a carpet fest, man. I had a handle of Jameson, and I didn't think it was going to really get going because uh, last year I brought Crown, and nobody touched it. And I was like, this is lame. But we finished it, man. I was I was happy about that. That was that was fun. I enjoyed that. That was a fun trip. Again, as we say on every podcast, go out to reptile events, whatever they are. Shows, carpet fest, go to a reptile event, be around like-minded people, and hang out. It's a – it's. 
it's the reason the hobby is so much fun. Yeah, the animals are great, but it, it's if I was just in my room and had no one else to talk to and I had just the animals, yeah, I'd probably be happy. But I would not be the way I am now. Like it's so much greater that I can call up April or Joe or Ryan or even you, Billy, and like and bullshit for two hours or four hours while April gets bit yeah, by a venomous snake. Sure. Yeah, or that. Well, <laughs> until I started doing shows and going to carpet fest and stuff, so it's just been the past two years. I like I'd go to shows and like I knew of people, but you know, like how in the hobby it's very easy to get caught up in like the, Oh my gosh, that's so-and-so because you've read about them so much. And yes. They established this line and you kind of make them a celebrity yeah. in your head. I did that with Tracy Barker. And, uh, yeah. And then you go and talk to her and it's like, Holy crap, this is just a normal person that has the same, you know, interest as me. So it's, it's cool to start to meet people and get that, uh, you know, get that side of it and just see how cool you know the hobby really is because we do have a good community that's for sure and before yeah. you become part of the community before you reach out and start talking to people all that you, you feel kind of alone like you're you're in your own little like locked away in your own little place and then once you start talking to people you realize oh man no it's <laughs> it's a far bigger outreaching community than what i thought it was and so that's one thing i love about it i just i love yeah. it. i love getting to talk to people that's like uh, talking about putting people up on a, on a like a pedestal only they're they're bigger than they are was like amanda rua who talked about when she met eric for the first time and called him mr burke it's like, that's hilarious that's funny <laughs> he's such a cool down-to-earth guy he'll talk to everybody you know there's there's no reason to be nervous around him but well that's like, how like i said you when just, I met you put Trace, him on a pedestal well yeah when i met tracy barker i mean her name is on books on multiple books and like there's snakes with like lineages from her and then i start talking to her about genetics and stuff and she's, she's just cool like she's just a person yeah and they, they all are talk my, to talk to people my first year spending daytona uh, owen came up to my table and you know there was people looking so he was you know waiting behind him to go see you know what i had and I remember turning back to my girlfriend, I'm like, holy crap, that's Owen. She's like, who? <laughs> and then he walks up, and I'm like, Owen, what's up, man? He's like, oh, you know who I am? And then his voice is so distinct. It's yeah. like, holy crap, I'm talking to this guy. And now and you're like, it's just start... fucking Owen. Yeah, well, then, like, I talked to him. He talked to me, like, 15, 20 minutes. You know, just super chill, super down-to-earth guy. And it's like, that's when it kind of started clicking for me. I'm like, these are just regular people. They just happen to have their name on the internet. Yeah. You know, it's... April, who's the cool one person like you met that you were like that? Uh, that well, when I was told that Tracy wanted to contact me about uh, the 007 that I hatched out, I yeah. freaked freaked the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> like I was like I I was a nervous wreck. Like I put off probably for like half a day not calling her because I was so nervous about it. Um, but then. I got on the phone with her and it was fine, and she's really cool, and it was not a big deal. Did part, did part of your mind be like, oh, shit, is she going to tell me I did something wrong? No, not really. It was just kind of like – it was more like I've only been doing this for a very short amount of time compared to what she's been doing. I'm like, I know nothing, <laughs> basically. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be – look, I'm going to look so dumb in front of her because I know so little compared to what she knows. Yeah, it's – like I said, going back to what we were talking about originally about – the business, all of this stuff is part of, if you want to do a business, like it's, 
networking is a huge thing, I think, in this. Huge. I mean, especially oh, if, you, if you want to get animals, other animals, and find out who has what. Because a lot of times, the cool shit, you're not going to see posted up on groups and on Morph Market. <laughs> that stuff's sold ahead of time. Because someone knows that so-and-so is working with this line, this gene, this animal. Yeah, exactly. And you got to know that stuff. I'm slowly starting to I'm slowly starting to get into some of the circles. And it's pretty awesome. <laughs> That's for sure. So even if you just know someone and be like, hey, I'm interested or looking for this, do you happen to know people? And they're like, Oh yeah, th- I know this person who has this project going or or even if, you know, someone hits you up about some se- secret project they have, like networking is, is well, a good thing. Not only I- you're gonna have great friendships, but You'll get some cool snakes, too. Well, and that's where some of these <laughs> Facebook groups do actually come in handy, but you got to be careful. Like, yes, join a Facebook group that's about the species you like, but you don't have to post every day. You don't have to randomly comment on ev- – or not random, comment on every single thing. Just watch. Learn who the people are. Reach out to the right people. You know, I think some people get really excited and, that, and they want to be a part of every single conversation. And sometimes you don't need to be a part of every single conversation. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> but these groups can help show you because now a lot of times some of these older breeders, some of these bigger breeders aren't in the groups, but someone in the group can point you in that direction. Yeah. Um, I've, I've there like the Sambo groups. There's a handful of breeders I've met from there that those are the people that I'm going to go to to buy from and if I don't buy from them, I'll buy from whoever they tell me to buy from. And I know the Blood Python group is a very close group, too. Yes. And the Carpet group group is basically Eric and anybody that listens to Eric. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in a lot of groups. I'm interested in so many different things. It's pretty dumb. But uh, <laughs> I've definitely found breeders that way where I'll join a group on something that I'm interested in and I'll just look through and, you know, it doesn't take long to figure out who's doing it right, who has quality stuff, who really cares about what they put out and all that. And yeah, you know, just hit them up and I've gotten on a couple lists that way, you know, you have so you those definitely use it to your advantage, but go ahead. I was say you have those cool weird ass snakes that Jason hood has, right? The yes. really colorful, what I can't yes. remember what they're called. I never remember what they're called. So it's Pharynx Pacillinotus or a neotropical bird eating snake. Yeah, I knew bird was in there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Those things are awesome. I saw yeah. those at Tinley for the first time. I, well, I walked by them and thought they were fake. And then I realized they were yeah, real doing snakes. Helping Jason with Tinley was a bad idea because it definitely. Uh, <laughs> made me give him money. But say, because you stared at him and went, "No, I gotta have these things." Uh, pretty much, yeah. Have you have you gotten black? Yeah, he was just laughing. No, not yet. Uh, the next thing I'm probably getting from will be some type of spilodi, either uh tiger rats or the sulfurus, the real big black and yellow ones. Yeah. Uh, because just being around him and interacting with him at his table, like he was so cool. I really didn't. Like, I knew of him, and I, we've talked before, but it was after Daytona last year. Um, I was just, hey, you're going to Tinley, right? Like, do you want someone to help you drive or whatever? And he was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. And that's pretty much how it happened. And then we got to know each other on the, the drive up, and 
than at the show. His table's so busy because he just has such amazing oh, yeah. animals. Well, he's, he's so, if whenever someone's like talks about wanting blackheads, I'm like Jason Hood. Like that's the person I think. Like he has such awesome looking yeah. blackhead pythons, and he's taking the time to do. Like, it's that kind of stuff you learn by talking to people who has the collections that aim at whatever species you truly want. I I thought he and no disrespect to anyone else working on blackheads, but after helping him out, seeing his animals, you know, him showing me pictures of the adults and his plans and all that, I honestly do think he's one of or the top breeder of those. Uh, just because of the time he's put in, the work he's put in, how amazing they look. And when Keith McPeak came and got his pair from him, yes, you know, and he's those. sitting there looking at him and yeah, you know, like he's not going to get <laughs> subpar stuff, you know? So that, that shows you that if you want good stuff, you got to go to the right people. Well, he has some of the orange, like orangish ones that I've seen, you know, you, oh, see, yeah. you see some that get really dark and, and muddled as they get older, but he had some really good looking clean ones that were amazing. Yeah, some of the orange went all the way from the belly all the way up the sides to the, the dorsal area. Yeah. You know, it was insane. Absolutely insane. So, again, that's where we go back to quality. Buy quality. Yes, you could have found blackheads at Tinley for less. You 100% could. I saw them. Oh, and Oh, yeah. And people, for whatever reason, they'd come to me when I was at his table and, like, kind of be like, oh, a little pricey, huh? And I'm like, well, you get what you pay for. <laughs> you know, like, well, I can get one over here for this. I'm like, well, there you go. There it is. If your goal is just to own a blackhead, then, yeah, go go buy it from whoever. That's fine. But if your goal Absolutely. is if your yeah. goal is if you're like I need a very pretty or I have breeding plants, then yeah, you're gonna spend that. That's how that works. They're gonna cost a little more, you know. Uh, April's got the the was it double oh seven whatever. I can't keep up with everything that's in the white one. The ones you have. Yeah, it's Matrix and um, Golden Eye and T negative. Yeah, that's an awesome looking snake, and I know April is putting a lot of thought into the parents that she gets for these things and into the ones that she bought. She's, she's got a plan. That's another thing that networking, if you want to get into T negative albinos, April's going to be the person to talk to because she, that's, that's the route she wants to go. She's trying to get a certain look in the T negative albinos. And if I don't have it, I most likely know who does. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, just people have got to take more time in what they pick, but we won't. We still, we still work with the mentality of, well, if I can get it for cheaper, I'll get it for cheaper. Yeah, I used to be like that, and it took me a while. I've been keeping for a while now, and in the beginning, yeah, I did that. Yeah. And I think anybody that's in the hobby and says they never did that, ninety-nine percent of them are probably lying to you. But as you get more serious about your hobby and all that, and wanting to put out nicer stuff, you know, that's gonna there'll be a time where that switch happens. You're like, all right, well, I want to put my stuff out. I have to bring my stuff in. Yes. So, all right. That's, that is all I had, but that's not all we have though. Right? Anybody have anything else? April, you got anything else you want to talk about? Nope. That's it. I think we covered Billy's couple things. Unless you have anything else, Billy. Oh, we hit the video and, uh, the Duns and White Lips. So the Duns and I'm White happy. Lips. How big duns are about the same size as maclots, right? Yeah. Savus yeah, are the smaller. A little smaller. Yeah, savus are the smallest ones. Yeah. 
Like I said, I, I, usually the the most ornery. They're, you know, like a lot of things. I think their problem was uh, just the way the market went, and like we've said, it's very cyclical. They'll have their time again. It just was not the mid two thousands. That was not their time. Yeah, that was the that was the the Pied's time. So yes. So, but it, it is cool seeing that some people are still working with some of those because, like we said before, especially with all the Australian stuff, uh, if no one's working with it, it's gone. It's it, it's not going to well, be the, the, the cool thing. The cool thing about the Duns was that they got. Those animals got imported like 20 years ago. So these animals are really old. We were, as far as the hobby, when I say we, we were really close to losing them to the hobby because they don't come in anymore. Yeah. You know, they're not something that comes in. So the fact that last year when he got the babies he did and then he was able to do it again this year, and I think he got his hands on one that Nick had or something, so they're unrelated or whatever, like that's huge to be able to do that and still have this species in the hobby. Cause how many have we lost because nobody cared? Oh yeah. To work well, with them, you well, know? Watching Dave and uh, Cusco's videos in Australia, there were some cool, like little lizards and stuff they showed. I'm like, well, we don't have those. Like, why don't we have that's those? Cool. We have, we have bearded dragons. Why don't we have that thing? And so, but that's yeah, nobody cared. Yeah. We all went in one direction and we're like, ah, whatever. And forgot the other stuff existed. You know, you, you hear about some of the older people talk like in the 80s and 70s. The stuff that was here was insane, but it's not what you see now when you go oh, to yeah. a show. Oh, people tell me all the time, oh, I remember when ring pythons were 20 bucks and you couldn't get rid of them. You know, <laughs> everybody had them. Now, if you want one, good luck. You know, they're out there, but you got to be in the circle. Oh, yeah. So, well, that is all I've got. Uh, Way to go, April, on your first official being part of the podcast. Oh, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I know that uh, April and I have talked. We've got we've got some other ideas for some other segments. You know, I know we're losing Carly's Animal of the Week segment, which is sad. But we got some ideas from us from other stuff. Um, I think I'm going to still back. I know that Riley just also talked about doing questions at the end of his podcast. I I, I promise I had been thinking about doing some sort of you know, a few questions at the end of each podcast since we're not really an interview based podcast. Just throwing a few interview based questions at the end. Um, but I gotta th- I gotta think about it more and talk to April and figure out what. I know I'm stealing back one that I used to make uh, Joe ask all the time on his podcast, even when they were in Texas. Uh, I used to, <laughs> I used to bother them in the live chat and ask them to ask the person their favorite pizza toppings. And I'm stealing that question back. Cause I love that question. So I will ask Billy, <laughs> Billy, what's your favorite pizza topping? Ooh, I swear if you say, if you say pineapple, I'm hanging up on you now. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's not okay. <laughs> I got it. You know, I think I'm a Supreme guy. Just throw it all on there. I see. I don't eat vegetables. Minus the pineapple. I don't do vegetables. Yeah, I, well, there's there's meat too, though. <laughs> I got it all. I'm a I like pepperoni and bacon. Give me pepperoni and bacon, and I'm good. So you're a meat lovers guy. Yeah, I I don't do vegetables. I'm a meat lover, but don't you dare dare put Canadian bacon on my damn pizza. That's ham that goes on a sandwich, not on a pizza. Ooh. Never even seen that. You've never seen Ooh. Canadian bacon on a pizza? I haven't. Or if I did, they they snuck it in there. It's, it's don't they do that like with pineapple sometimes Isn't that one of the yeah well ham and pineapple yeah 
you'll see Canadian bacon. Like especially like, if you ever order Domino's, look at the list of toppings. Canadian bacon is usually an option on there. Uh, don't do it. That's horrible. Don't don't eat Canadian bacon because that's just ham. But bacon, bacon, bacon is amazing. <laughs> look, I drove past, so it's funny. Things are closed right now, and you know, a lot of places are open for like delivery, or you can pick it up. Uh, the one that kills me that's still open is Chuck E. Cheese. Who the hell is actually ordering a Chuck E. Cheese pizza and going, that's the pizza I want to eat at home? Dude, they're listed on my DoorDash. The only reason the <laughs> only reason I will eat their shitty pizza is because I get to play video games while doing it. And if I don't get to play video games while doing it, I'm not going to eat their pizza. I mean, Yeah, I'm not doing Chuck E. Cheese takeout. I'll eat, I'll eat <laughs> Little Caesars all day right? long before I touch Chuck E. Cheese takeout. So funny. Or like, I love CC's, but I'm not ordering CC's takeout. Like, the reason I go to CC's is so I can try like seven different pizzas and eat as much of it as I want right before I throw up. That's why I go there. <laughs> and if I have to order just one pizza and take it home, I'm like, what? Why? So. Yeah, there's better options. So, but yes, I, I, I've got all that to say that at some point I'm going to have questions at the end of this thing. And that will definitely be one of them because I love pizza and I want to know what everybody else eats. So, I so, mean, eating is important, you know. so... <laughs> eating is vitally important, and it's getting close to my dinner time. Me too, friend. So, that is all I got. So, Billy, if you want to get a hold of you, how can I get a hold of you? Uh, just, just contact Justin Smith. They just call Justin Smith and then get... <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. He'll <laughs> he'll take the call, and then he'll, uh, he'll put me out in the hood for you. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Ubami Reptiles on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, I do have a YouTube channel. I don't keep up with that as much as I'd like to. Uh, and I just launched a website, so I do have some available animals on there. I went on your website the other day. It looks good. It. I liked your website. It yeah, looks- I've never – I have no, like, web design experience, so I just kind of went for it. So I'm really happy with how it came out. Um, and, and for anybody out there trying to figure out what it's U-W-A-B-A-M-I, Uwabami. And if you want to know what Uwabami, it means, go, yes. go to his website. It'll tell you what it means. Or, yes. or listen well, to uh, one of the it's... other 50 podcasts. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Tell us, tell us uh, what it means. It, it just means giant snake in Japanese. See, he tried to sound fancy. I know. I'm like, wow. <laughs> that's all. That's, that's all it means. It even has the in his logo. It's it's the yeah. picture. It's, it shows it. And the yeah the the Kenji the Kenji character is uh it just means snake. <laughs> that's all. That's so funny. Yeah, I actually I actually had uh two Japanese guys come up to my table at one of the shows, and one of them didn't speak English. One of them was like the translator, and they had like a GoPro in my face the whole time. And the guy comes up and he's like, "Oh, do you do business in Japan?" You know, because he saw the name and everything. I was like, "Oh no, I just thought it was cool." So there was like an awkward silence, and then I'm like, "Hey, just out of curiosity, is this all legit? Like, is this <laughs> is this right?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's correct. That's the right way to say it and <laughs> spell it and everything." So I was happy about that because I would have felt really stupid if <laughs> you know I did this whole thing and they're like, "Oh, that's not actually what it means." It's wrong. <laughs> So I was, I was looking through what you had available. You have a children's python. I'm assuming you didn't produce that children's though, did you? I did not. That one came from, uh, well, I got it from Justin and Andy oh, wow. Grossman. Okay. 
Yeah, Andy Grossman produced that one, so it comes from good lines. I've got a female, but I, I, I think I've I've decided I'm never going to breed. I'm just going to keep my female because I just don't want to deal with itty bitty babies that want to eat lizards. I don't have the. Yeah, patience. It sounds like we'll talk. It sounds like we'll talk a little later. <laughs> <laughs> I've I bought this female forever ago. I was like, I'm gonna get a male, and then I, I was like, I don't know. But they're cool looking little snakes. Like they're they're everything you want in a python in three foot. Like they have the python yeah. head, the eyes, and and but they also have I love their eyes. Yes. They have amazing I their eyes. eyes. I just don't love the attitude mine has sometimes. Yeah, nobody really told me uh Antaresia was Assholes? the way Antaresia is. <laughs> yeah, nobody really warned me on that. Yeah, they make them look cute. You see them, they're small, they're cute, they're adorable. They want to eat you. They're they're it's like dwarf came and they have little man syndrome. I was just going to say that. <laughs> I have a pair of the striped spotteds that uh, Ryan Young produces. Yeah. And those things are out for blood <laughs> every time I mess with them. It's so funny because they're so tiny. You're like, what are you doing? But they, they're all about it. Oh, one thing I do want to point out that we didn't talk about when starting a business and all. One thing that bothers me and I mention it a lot. And I like, I'm looking at your site and it's making me think pictures we talked about the other day on the live stream if you're gonna do this and sell animals you need to figure out how you want your picture to be um i like i'm looking at yours billy and you've got this cool gravel behind it every picture's got the same background and i'm a fan of every picture for your animals having the same background simply so that if someone's scrolling through pictures and they know they get used to seeing yours that background also sticks out and they go oh yeah that's so-and-so's animal um oh yeah well think of uh nick's pictures they're oh, yeah. all they've been the same for years you know so if you see one of those pictures pop up just like you said there's no doubt that's one of nick's animals yeah so nick, that was the idea behind it so. nick's one of the best at taking pictures of snakes <laughs> um i see you got bread yeah, lie dialed in do you produce those bread lie i did not you're gonna talk about everyone i didn't produce i um, know <laughs> well, I, I those just... are from uh, those are from Stephen Katz. I had uh, a local guy. He was getting out, and hey, you know, come get them. All right, so I'm gonna get some from Casey. So I'm like, well, I, I don't need two pairs. So. <laughs> okay, I'll talk about the ones you Tiger Jags. I know you had to produce those. Oh yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. those are mine. So, those uh, the Jaghead granites. Uh, couple oh, IJs on there. There's I've got a, some farm bread stuff on there. There's an IJ on here you have for sale that looks awesome. Like I'm not I'm not a, really an IJ guy, but like just scrolling through, I love scrolling through someone like you who has all these snakes from the same clutch or the same species and then just one sticks out. But there's one here that just like it's very right. gold on the sides and light colored. Uh Is it one of the farm bread ones or the I don't know. The M-Pen GQ M ones. M-Pen GQ ones. Ah, uh, okay. M6? It is M6. <laughs> yep. That I'll one, guess. I'll say that. That one, I mean, just like, you look at, like, it's sibling above it, and you're like, they don't look the same. And so it sticks All out. All that to say, yeah, whoever's they're... listening, go on his website. Just go see him. Find like... M6, and then go buy it, because apparently it's nice. I haven't it seen is. it. <laughs> it's, it's very yeah, light compared nice to the one. others. So, yeah, I don't know. Just imagine what he held back. Whole... That's true. That's... Yeah, there's, yeah. 
There'll be pictures eventually. <laughs> There's siblings somewhere that look better than that. But yeah, no, I definitely let go of some that I regret already, but well, can't keep them. That's the problem with carpet pythons is that to really know what they're going to look like, you'd have to keep them all for like two years. I mean, yeah, I did that with my first jungle clutch. I held back the whole clutch, and the one I thought was going to be the quote unquote trophy animal was not. And <laughs> that sucks. I'm happy I kept the whole clutch back. Yeah, that sucks. You, you're really like, oh, this is gonna be the one. That's gonna be the one. You're like, maybe this shed it'll be the one. Nope. Maybe the next shed it'll be the one. <laughs> it never became the one. Yeah. Well, I know like April's got those two double oh seven whatevers because I can't remember. Look, it's just the James Bond snakes because it's all James Bond <laughs> stuff. <laughs> but like those two, I know are gonna get better as they shed and color up. Yeah, they already look crazy different within three sheds, so yeah, cause I'm they, excited. Because they look basically white, but now they're starting to look white with orange spots. Yeah, <laughs> that color's coming in, so so be cool to see what that looks like uh, in a couple years. So yes, go check out Uwabami Reptiles. You can get you an Uwabami Reptile shirt. I need to get shirts made. You got shirts. <laughs> April's got, got stickers. I don't have... I gotta get more shit made. I spent so yeah, much money on planning on my them, logo. I make them myself. I got to press everything. It's like, I don't want to deal with like a store or something. So see how that goes. See if that was a smart decision or not. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you have the the way to pronounce Uwabami like actually done on the shirt and the definition. That's funny. Well, that, well, that's what everybody always asks. I've heard some funny ways to say it. So. Oh, I can imagine. I figured that'd be a good a good first design for come up with something else. Do you ever have people trying to read it backwards? Like maybe you put a word up there backwards as the name of your company? No, it's usually uh, usually say like you a Bammy or like they'll say it like they'll say it exactly how it's spelled, <laughs> you know, because they they don't know. But uh, yeah, it's funny hearing. Awesome. I'm actually impressed that you didn't even ask me how to pronounce it. You like you had it down, so it's I'm, good stuff. One, I I can kind of read it and figure it out too. I've heard you on seventy million other podcasts and live streams. Like I got it, <laughs> but I haven't been on that many podcasts. <laughs> so, so that was Billy. All right, April. Now it's your turn right. to say where where they can get a hold of you. You can find me on designerexotics.net, or you can find me. Designer Exotics on YouTube, on Instagram, and on Facebook. I apparently need a website is what I'm catching here. <laughs> I don't have a website. I thought it was 2020. We weren't doing not websites legit. anymore. I always I figured if Facebook dies, we need something. <laughs> That's yeah. ours, and we own that. So That is true. I may in the next year or so. But, I mean, I remember as like a ninth grader playing around in like GeoCities and making websites. I mean... They've got to be easier now. Yeah, they're like templates and stuff, basically. It's, it's it, If I can do it, you can it's, do it, because I am so like funny. technologically it's, stupid. It's so easy a Billy can do it. <laughs> so, exactly. <laughs> uh, I realize that every week I don't actually say where you could find me, just the podcast, and screw it. I feel like I'm important. Uh, you can find me at Simply Serpents on Facebook. You cannot find me at simplyserpents.com because I don't have a website. I'm not cool. Uh, maybe in the future I will make a website. But definitely find me at Simply Serpents on Facebook. I don't have any babies right now because my Samboas are never, ever going to give birth. Uh, they just keep getting fatter and fatter. 
and I'm pretty sure they've been pregnant for a year and a half now. <laughs> um, I, I think they've made the pregnancy has been made longer by the fact that I'm at home all day long. Probably. <laughs> so they're gonna give birth to yearlings. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna come. They're gonna come out eating. It's gonna be the largest babies eating adult mice. Just <laughs> their first meal is an adult mouse. But so find me on Simply Serpents on Facebook. You can find the podcast on Instagram and Facebook at the Reptile Gumbo Podcast. You can email us at the Reptile Gumbo Podcast at gmail dot com. Uh, go on Facebook every week. We have questions. Answer. Uh, give us your answer. Tell us what you think. Uh, we welcome any sort of topic or subject you want us to talk about. This is really a podcast aimed at the listener more than aimed at us, even though we're the ones talking the whole time. Uh, but we'd like to know what y'all are thinking. So thank you, Billy, for coming on. Thank you, April, for being my new co-host. Uh, that's awesome. And that's all I got. So talk to everybody next week. See you guys. Mm-hmm.